Okay, here's how Miro works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another hundred meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. And Merson has scored. Arsenal legends Paul Merson, John O'Shea, and Wes Brown are coming to Dublin. It's an exclusive off air event. So if you want to be there, get on to offtheball.com forward slash events. Just eat the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. I was away. I was away in Sheffield for for a few days. Because we missed you, but you were you were probably on more when you were away than you are normally. <laughs> I was, I was, um, but that's what you got to do, Adrian. You know when you're. When you're you at something as exciting for, as the World Snooker Championship, you've got to make the most of it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so you yeah, don't yeah. have to take days off and you can sort this of. Like, is, you've <laughs> nailed it. You've nailed, not your first rodeo, is Not it? my first rodeo. Um, oh, it was a lot of fun, I have to say. Yeah. Um, seeing Always. Ronnie O'Sullivan in person at the Crucible. Yeah. I've seen, I've, I've seen Ronnie play exhibitions before, but. Um, never in competition. Never in competition. Ah. So that was, a, that was an experience and a half, I have to say. Uh, just the atmosphere, Rob Walker's introduction for him, the, the fever pitch atmosphere in the crowd. There's just, there's just a, an aura about the man. Um, uh, met him, met up with him yesterday briefly at the stage door of the Crucible when he was leaving after the, the morning session. Um, I was thinking, well, is this man going to remember me? Because I'd spoken to him a couple of times over the years and uh, I was walking to his car. It didn't stop for any of the fans waiting for autographs because, to be fair, there's a lot of sessions over the 17 days. So if you stopped every time, you'd be you'd be held up quite significantly. And uh, I, I didn't say anything to him. I was wearing a hat. I was chatting to one of the, the security guards, Jerry, uh, at the uh, secu- Sheffield uh, Crucible door, who's a Monaghan man originally. And, um, yeah, R- Ronnie essentially just turns around to me and says, Ah, oh, all right, mate. Runs back, little fist bump. Oh. Quick chat. Goes back to the nice. car and I'm thinking, trying to play it cool, you know. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ah, it's just what happens. Yeah, le- leave it all uh, nice and laid back. But, um, no, it was a lot of fun, I have to say. It's, a, it's one of those tournaments that I think everyone should go to, even if you're not into snooker, just ex- experience the atmosphere and the vibe of the Crucible. I've been to a couple of uh, snooker tournaments, and they are not really what you expect. They're not. They're like, a bit of a buzz, like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, you know, the TV experience is just so out of kilter with the actual in-venue experience. Because you can have your pints in your seat. People don't realise that. Oh, can you? I didn't you, know like, that. You, the crowd can have pints... But it's such, a, but it's still a such a respectful great, crowd. It's not a great mix, is it? <laughs> huh? But it works. Generally speaking, it you don't get. Uh, you're um, Ireland. You're 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 the 2023 version of Angus McAnally, essentially. What's the reference here? He's Angus McAnally was like Ireland's foremost. Um, I was just I'm starting to think about how that, that would be your dream gig over there. Right. Yeah. 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 Like doing bits and bobs, but he was Ireland's foremost snooker expert for for a long time, decades. See, this is why, and without getting self-indulgent, I think it's good. It, it was good for us to have a, a, a presence over there, Adrian, because 
Sure. The snooker, the snooker is it's not that it doesn't have the same luster as it had in the eighties, lads. Let's be honest. But um, none of the Irish um, organisations really go over and cover it. And when you think about how much interest there is mm. for snooker in Ireland, uh, maybe you only notice it during the World Championship over the decades where you had Ken and you had yeah, Dennis Taylor and you had Alex Higgins. I think like that obviously draws an audience regardless of what's going on and there's just not that at the minute. I know. And we have Alex Fergal we, we had Alex Higgins Fergal Brian of course. He was one. Yeah, yeah. Um Mark Allen is is on course. He's yeah. he's eight all with Jack Jones in his quarter final. Watched a bit of him yesterday, he was five four down and there was a bit of over and back with the two of them mm. with the possibility that man would go six four up and he, he managed to claw it back. Yeah. He had to clear everything on the table, get the blue the last red and the blue and clear all the colours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he nearly uh, messed it up. He did. At, a, at one point, I managed to get it back. What's his realistic? He can win. He, he can win the world championship. Could he? he can win the world championship. Right. Um, he won't fear playing Ronnie O'Sullivan. Whereas some of the, I look at some of the other players in that draw that are left, and they will fear playing Ronnie O'Sullivan. Uh, Ronnie plays the winner of Xi Wei, the young Chinese twenty-year-old, and Anthony McGill in the semi-finals. Now, if Xi Wei gets through that one, Ronnie, I think, will spank mm-hmm. him. He's just not been in that situation before against Ronnie in a, in a one-table setup at the Crucible. Because when it goes to the semi-finals, it turns into one table rather than two. Oh, yeah. So instead of being that intense, cramped setup, it's it's just it's literally cavernous. It's massive. What's your sell to people who wouldn't be too interested in snooker? Why should they watch this? Why should they watch snooker? Why should they watch this tournament particularly? The World Championship. I mean, it's a lot of people watch it for nostalgic reasons, but the fact is the the drama and the excitement. Whether it's ten in the morning, mm. half two in the afternoon, or seven p.m., you can switch on the TV. And you're watching live snooker. It's it's 17 days. But that's just describing the, what it is. But I, like we live, <laughs> I, I, we live I in a world of say that drama and out. excitement. I think if you're telling people to turn tune in for drama and excitement, you're going to leave them very disappointed. Yeah, well, sorry, uh, and we live in a world of content, full of content. TikTok, okay. what have you? Facebook, etc. All these popular social media platforms. People don't have the, the attention spans for snooker. That's the problem. That's, that's what I'm saying. So what's the sell? But you can't sit down and watch on the TV. Like how long is it? Over the course of the different sessions? Yeah, like a, fra- a frame can be anywhere from 15 minutes to half an hour yeah. more in an hour. Yeah, um, tennis that's, is, that's tennis is the same problem too, it's that's too long. just like, you too need long. to have nothing else to do. But also, sorry, I, like, outside the people who love snooker, there's plenty. Mm. Millions and millions out there, it's a world-renowned sport and all that, but for those anyway. who aren't... Well, the first, the first thing is most people don't watch snooker because they don't know, understand the rules. They're, they're looking at all these colours okay. and they're going, what's actually happening here? I, I, met, I met a fella in, in Sheffield yesterday in the taxi and... He didn't even realise the World Championship was on and he's from Sheffield and he didn't understand. What? He was like, what's a 147? We were talking about a 147s and I was like, um, he, he didn't know what a 147 was. But if you explain the colours to people and the order and wh- what it means. I mean, Brilliant. Uh, what I would say is, well, Ronnie O'Sullivan, number one, uh, if you're sort of teetering and you're not sure what the whole thing is about, watch the BBC either ran for the first time or re-ran a documentary at about 10 o'clock last night after the sessions were over. Steve Davis hosted... It, it, if the BBC ever produce snooker, something that's nothing to do with the play, yeah. watch it. They just do mm. such an amazing job. And, yeah. mm. and that all the living former champions that were uh, that were about, they brought in. Do you remember after Alex Higgins um, won it, he was beckoning to his uh, wife to bring down the, the baby. Uh, yeah. And the baby was there 82. and he was in tears and it was very emotional. They had the baby there. Uh, Steve Davis chatting to the now 40-year-old woman. Um, on the floor of the crucible and uh, Steve Davis himself started to get emotional when he remembered the heady playing days mm. against there's just there's such a richness yeah. to that thing and you don't you don't need to be I'm not like um, I don't watch <coughs> a huge amount of snooker yeah fair so you don't need to be that um, and, and that that can that pulls you in it's an there's a BBC uh, Alex Higgins documentary Brilliant. I'm sure you've seen it yeah, yeah. it's absolutely amazing 
but that like that guy was box office and so was Ronnie and so were a couple of others and Shane people in the comments they're interested they love it I mean straight away like uh, Noel Cattle asking you directly Shane is Ronnie playing well enough to win this 100% there's no doubt about it he's 10-6 ahead of Luca Brassell now he didn't even come out of second gear I think in that match so far uh, and as I said the draws opened up he's McGill or CJ away in the semis and then you've, you're talking a final against Selby or Higgins or maybe Mark Allen well Kenny Dattard said it's a poor quarter final lineup other than Higgins and Selby Possibly, yeah, but, the sem- but as a result, the semi-finals I think will be will be fairly decent. And any tournament that has Ronnie still in it. By the way, Ronnie and this he revealed this in a press conference the other day. So we've, there's this long-awaited Ronnie O'Sullivan documentary that we're waiting on, waiting oh, yeah. on, oh, waiting yeah. on. Yeah, so apparently it's close. And Ronnie had the opportunity, I think, to to see a, a cut version. They still need to cut ten minutes from it before it's finally released. But it's very, very close. Mm. Uh, and what I didn't realise, Ronnie was mic'd up throughout the entire duration of the World Championship last year when he equalled mm. Henry 7. So even moments where he's having ar- arguments with the referee or saying things to players or, or even crying with Judd Trump at the end, he's mic'd up for the entire duration of it. So like, I think this is going to be a brilliant documentary. It's from, it's from creators who have made some serious documentaries in the past, so it's um, something to look forward to for Wonder. snooker fans. And you didn't just watch, you have some content coming our way, Ooh. out now actually on social media. Yeah, out now. Uh, check the YouTube uh, for the full interviews with, we did a bit of a backstage thing with Ken Doherty yesterday, talking in front of the the, uh, the Roll of Honour list and, and the hall where the players kind of pace back and forth before they walk out. Rob Walker, who's the, the MC broadcaster, really interesting chat with Rob actually, he's a fascinating guy. He's had a lot of loss in his life over the last uh, 12 months or so, he's doing a... Uh, a run and slic- a cycle from J- Land's End to John O'Groats or vice versa uh, to raise a bit of money and um, just a really fascinating guy and someone who, who uh, has a zest for life that's infectious so you should definitely watch that one and Jan Verhas as well as I described him the Pierluigi Colina of Snooker the referee Jesus, that everyone recognises recommendation? Oh, it's, he's got the stern that look that is the worst book that that, uh, that his yeah, book yeah, is yeah. the worst book I've Colina's ever. book oh yeah, my god that. I haven't Jeez. read it explain why it was just you know the way footballers um, biographies at times can be and then we played Bournemouth it was a cold Tuesday oh, night no. my shin guards went missing uh, just before the game it was one of those and oh, it was brutal no. No. it was awful did, well, however much you could stomach it from a player from the referee not having it do us a favour we should talk football uh, out to be in with the Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now at 7.45 yeah. um, match last night is that where you want to start yeah it's amazing I mean really amazing like we have Adam Pope on after the first sad break to talk about it he was commenting on the game yeah I should say we'll have Shawnee Johnston as well talking talking the, the weekend's Ulster semi-finals Lee Keegan is on the show at around 8.50 as well we've got um, Anthony Ford 10 past 9 and name not familiar to, to all of you but he's a Wrexham player who is Irish so we're looking forward to chatting to, to him about the, the mad scenes at uh, the race course uh, over the last couple of weeks and uh, promotion from the National League finally after so many years away but um, yeah as you said Adam Pope is coming up two points dropped for Leeds maybe? Well not with the way the game went Leicester should have won that match like really out yeah, of the, the two sides chance. I thought absolutely yeah the way it went but like one of the all time great disallowed goals was scored by Yuri Tielemans at 0-0 which was uh, given offside very annoyingly. Like, it was the correct decision, obviously. He was offside. But uh, the, the flick back, and then just the nonchalant power mm. that Tiedemann's consistently gets in his shots is reminiscent of his winner in the 2021 FA Cup final. Uh, so that was a pity that it didn't count because it was great. And Addy McCoy's on Co-Coms BT Sport just livens up any game. Ah, now, this game didn't need livening up, but he still added to it. And do you know what he said in his Scottish voice? What's a hit? Just like himself <laughs> before him 20 He's years very ago. Natural. As yeah, a broadcaster. Yeah, yeah. Co-commentary doesn't come naturally to, to a lot of people, but to, to Ali, it's like he's just buzzing to be there. And you can feel that through the, through the screen as well and through the commentary and through yeah. his words. I'd be, um, I'd be worried for Leeds 
very uh, yeah I'm worried for them now like I think just looking at them last night what was it what did Leicester score in 79 minutes something 79 80th minute, minute, yeah, yeah. Um, like you're looking at it and I think like you're hinting at Colin the goal felt to have been coming from a Leicester point of well, view totally yeah and at least like, it is you kind of felt it was a pivotal uh, 10 minutes for Leeds to try and hang on given that like they have Bournemouth next and fair enough that goes whatever way it goes they have City and then they have Newcastle back to back yeah. So you're having to assume that there's uh, zero points gained there and then they have West Ham and Spurs to close out the season. Now, they're not necessarily the uh, trips of our games at home as the last one is against Spurs, I think, um, of the most daunting variety. But, uh, and you know, they could possibly end up picking up some points in those in those yeah. games, but there are at least two games in there that are guaranteed zero point. Uh, ah, look, they'll games. be gutted this morning, like Raka had the header that outside of the Bamford sitter, like that was yeah. a great save by Everson from Raka's header point blank range. So they could have easily got three points, but like they're sitting here this morning a point ahead of Leicester in sixteenth place. And but I thought I thought the visitors were the far superior side. And like James Madison nearly scored right after the Tiedemann's disallowed goal. Yeah. He came in at the back post. Side. Madison is uh, he just really enjoys life. I really, really like Madison. Just see when he missed that chance, chance, and he was uh, gesturing to the crowd. He was like, <laughs> just like that, like laughing into presumably the face of mass abuse, and oh. he just laughed it off. And I do love a sports person who laughs at abuse that can um, just take the crowd yeah, on yeah. their merits bill. Leeds have conceded fourteen goals, fourteen goals in their last four games. Like that is just a slide that at this point of the season you would have to have huge concerns about. And they also don't look like as if they've got the ability to score a huge amount up at the other end. So, For Javi, doesn't look like he's... Javi Gracia. He doesn't have it. Like I, I, and I know the Leeds fans, Like when you look into all the Leeds social media posts now, you see the, the ratio of comments and it's just Leeds fans hurling. Yeah. And like they've, they've had, he's probably been a bit unlucky and Leeds have been a bit unlucky. They've had a couple of key injuries late on in the season and that's definitely not helping things. But they're a little bit... I, you know, the result last night gives an awful lot of hope to, I think, teams around them. Everybody's still really in the in the mixer. I wouldn't like to be banking on them on the last day if they're even a point above the, as they are at the minute, above the relegation places. You just need to be better than three teams. So Forrest and Southampton, you'd imagine are in bother. Southampton are certainly in bother. Southampton, they're going. Anyway, yeah. um, but Everton, like, you, do you see much in Everton's you just keep feeling week in week out surely this is the week where they start to pull clear a little bit I think I think Everton have at least one more win in them possibly two I said at the start of the season my prediction was Southampton Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth oh so I'm going to stick you got to stick with, but I'm going to stick with Bournemouth although they're looking pretty at the moment five points clear but um and a game less played, or sorry, a game less yeah. played than Leeds and Leicester. But I, I think, I mean, Leeds, Leeds have just relegation written all over them, the way they play. Um, and you can see, like, you can see the personnel of Leeds playing in the championship, if you want to be brutal about it. You know, it, it wouldn't be like there's loads of stars in the Premier League missing if they go down. And look, Leicester's squad is no great shakes anymore, but like, you have one or two players there that will definitely get a move to a Premier League side if Leicester go down. With Leeds... Sinister is a fabulous player. Uh, Somerville is an excellent prospect, mm. but nobody that really screams at you Premier League quality consistently. They have a lot of very exciting players, but it, it would make sense if Leeds went down. Put it that way. I was listening to Adam Pope and, and they, they have that "Don't Go to Bed Just Yet" podcast on Leeds, and one of the guys in the podcast was pointing out that you know the likes of Weston McKinney, who's thirty-five million quid, maybe Leeds need to be signing players that are 
far less money than that because that seems to be the, the protocol that works for them you get bargains mm-hmm. that turn out to be really good signings mm. you get desperate though you see you get well, isn't that the thing do you know what I mean when I things think, are the slide uh, is on yeah McKenny was a good acquisition I think he, his quality shone last night he stood out like playing at Juventus helps but generally over the season he hasn't been last night really mattered I thought he was quite, quite good in midfield it's rare when the team when a team is in the doo-doo that the likes of an Evan Ferguson starts to put their hand up and say right yeah. you know we can uh, you can rely on me here folks I'm going to yeah. bang you in 25 goals a season Yeah. Uh, but like even looking at Everton's run in they have uh, Newcastle Thursday night uh, the Leicester game on Monday is monster that yeah. could well end up deciding which one of those stays up you have Brighton which is at Brighton which is probably right off City at home, probably a write off, and then Wolves and Bournemouth over the last couple of games. I can see a path there for Everton. <laughs> a would path you, to safety. Yeah. Mm. Would you miss Leicester if they went down? No, not not current Leicester. We all feel a little bit sort of. Nostalgic. Can you can you talk about nostalgia? It was only a Funny, few years yeah, ago. Yeah. I think we all feel a little bit nostalgic for that, but I wouldn't miss them. I looking at them like looking at them last night. Grand, they gave it a gave it a rattle. Vardy scores his first goal in six months, whatever it was. Mm. Um, which I couldn't believe when the commentator said it. It was like nine hundred. Yeah, mad. He's, he's not playing. Like no, he's, and he's been well to stay at that level at that age as well. And yeah. he, he near, nearly had a second. You were an Everton fan as a kid, so yeah. you'd feel a little bit. The probably a would, tinge yeah. of sadness. If and you've Coleman there as well and stuff. You wouldn't like yeah. to see that happen to him. They obviously got that pulled off the great escape last season. So Sean Dyche um, was a likable character as well. Once mm-hmm. there's someone in charge who's a likable character. Neil Warnock was in the uh, press room yesterday. It's oh, right. the Crucible. Oh, yeah. He's over. He's, uh, he's obviously uh, spent plenty of time in Sheffield. But yeah, the likes of Sean Dyche, you don't want to see him going down. You don't want to see the characters going down. Once too big a club to go down, Shane. That's uh, too big to go down. Mm. Like Manchester United in '74. Yeah, one of um, one of a few teams not to ever be relegated from the Premier League, as in the birth of football, nineteen ninety two Premier League. Um, tell me this, Shane. Oh, who do you want to see go down? Um, Southampton deserves to go down. They'll be gone. Um, uh, you don't want them to go down though, well, because Bournemouth, Bournemouth are Bournemouth are the Longford of the Premier League, aren't they? They're a bit irrelevant. No offence, money. Wow, you know, money mess in Longford. Wow. Be. Jeez, I can hardly slag Monaghan is wow. seen by oh many as, as, wow, wow, as, a, wow. as a bypassing point to it's just no need Gaul, for that, like so. it's only a little slag I should have said Westmead yeah, Kenny listening oh. in this morning I guess that about Shane that would be currently relevant no but Bournemouth Bournemouth good luck to you if you, if you go down um, I think I think Southampton Bournemouth and Leicester if, oh. I, if I had to pick three and it's tough because I mean you want Forrest to stay up I, I think I think Forrest add a little bit of something to the Premier League mm. I mean, Steve Cooper's done a brilliant job. They deserve to stay up, based off, not, maybe not based. Bournemouth are probably safe. They're five points clear, yeah. But I, uh, I, just, I could see them going down. I think Bournemouth are probably safe. Um, Colin's just w- sticking stick to his predictions. I wouldn't mind yeah. see them. Uh, I wouldn't mind see them go down. What about um, what do we make of the whole Tottenham stuff? The uh, the issue that came up yesterday. The the statement. I have the statement in front of me on Twitter. Yeah, well, well, yeah, as a squad, we understand your frustration, your anger. It wasn't good enough. We know words aren't enough in situations like this. But believe us, a defeat like this hurts. We appreciate your support, home and away. And with this in mind, we would like to reimburse fans with the cost of their of their match tickets from St James's Park. We know this does not change what happened on Sunday. We will give everything to put things right against Manchester United on Thursday evening. When again, your support will mean everything to us together. And only together can we move things forward. That's sorry, I was just about to use a word there that I'll refrain from. That's just not true. To get o- <laughs> only together measures. we can move forward. Come off it, seriously. I mean, there are, I I would have several issues with the statement, but that absolutely. Well, give us your several issues. Come but on. The nonsense at the end of it of 
we all need to be in this together. It's us and the fans. If you cut us adrift, there's no chance we can we can get out of the. To come off it. What do you like, want him to say though? Well, if I'm a if I'm a Tottenham fan, that's the last thing I need to be listening to. What you're dependent on us, like making a bit of a racket in the stand to get your, you get stuff sorted on the pitch, and we'll be behind you. Like this is not um, I just that that stuff. I just they're damned like, if they like, do and damned if they don't. Because if they don't reimburse the tickets, and no, they're they're, they're not they're damned screwed. if they do. Because if they do get it right on the pitch, then everything just falls into place. Once you that. don't get it, once you get it so wrong on the pitch, you have to reimburse the tickets. No, or, I, I or, totally or give some that. sort of no, a gesture. No, no. I think oh, this no, idea of the, the, the reimbursement day. stuff is. Ah, I have it here in the notes. Dangerous precedent? Question mark. It's not a dangerous precedent. Why? It's crazy, right? Arsenal did it with Arsenal did it with the last day Because where where do you stop? Like, but loads of teams have done it over the years. Hold on. Last weekend, with under the radar. One of the worst Premier League games to ever happen in Setters Park. Crystal Palace nil, Everton nil. Yeah. I watched back the highlights match of the day. They tried their best. God love them. I felt sorry for the editor. <laughs> the chances were like, do you ever play football manager or championship manager back in the day? And every time it appears on the screen, the 2D thing, it's like, okay, this is going to be a chance, right? Mm. And sometimes it goes over and wide, way, wait, or a FIFA replay if you're playing in the console. It was like, bare minimum stuff of that like that not, how does nothing happen for 90 plus minutes now you could argue oh sorry about that that was absolutely shocking and apologies to the Everton fans for travelling down south we'll reimburse you because that was terrible mm. yeah I, both I teams think picked up a point so that you don't have to reimburse anything I think they've embarrassed themselves I think they've embarrassed themselves as a club with this nonsense and by the way it looks like it was player led by all accounts from the statement it, did, it looked like as if this wasn't a central sort of a we, we better go and um, pay the players Pay the fans back. Well, that makes sense, like does it not? Pay, pay those fans back that, oh, that I just had to think witness that. It's embarrassing. Like, they spent not their the hard-earned f- money to go to this match but up the, in Newcastle. Th- was it Cameron that was with us on the Friday Fire Pit where we were discussing this last week and he said, that's not the way fandom works. You're not entitled to a refund if your team don't show up. Yeah, it was Cameron, yeah. yeah. And, and you're, you're supposed right? to support your, your team through thick and thin. I get that. And actually, to see some of the Spurs fans leave after 21 minutes was ridiculous. I think you shouldn't be leaving after 21 minutes. Look at it. Okay. But it's a I nice would, gesture to get the, you know, the, the cost of the match you back. You know my view on, on, like, if you pay into the game, you're entitled to do what the hell you want, right? Like, making embarrassing videos, doing a mini commentary of yourself leaving the stadium is that, that was also slightly embarrassing. But yeah. regardless, I think you're entitled to do what you want. And if you want to make a bit of a statement by walking out... Uh, I would say more what the hell were the team doing 5-0 down after 20 minutes yeah, as opposed to, yeah, like, I think you know. you've uh, nailed it Adrian you said they're just drawing attention to themselves here with this statement it's it's, and you're right like it's, it's, like, just it's keep, another just keep version your head down, like. of, of the, a De Gea statement on Instagram or a hangdog Harry Maguire interview after they've just been beaten and they've mm. scored a couple of OGs it's but another version of that and I just think nobody asked for it stop doing it focus on getting stuff right in the pitch and get on with it well, lads can I just uh, for briefly stop proceedings I was worried about him and I think uh, our community was worried about him. He's back. Bobby Dwyer, we hadn't heard from him. Mm-hmm. It's like, Bob, what's wrong? He was all over Twitter, I could see him, but he's uh, written in this morning, complete bollocks from Spurs, but this is a spin from Levy, panicking that the atmosphere will be toxic in the stadium tomorrow, and I myself will be shouting, Levy out. Would you agree with the Levy out sentiment? Uh, right. He delivered this amazing stadium. Yeah. That stuff, he, he, your crowd, he's both of your squad. crowd are the same. You never hear about the Glazers when United are going well. You do now. It's the same about um You Daniel do now, Levy. I think. I think I think now regardless, well things are not going well at the moment. United fans were chatting Glazers out when they were parading the Carabao Cup trophy around Wembley. I mean that things are going pretty well at that point. I don't know <laughs> the Mickey Mouse Cup, Mickey Mouse Cup, yeah. But um, I, I think the Levy out stuff is is fair game. I think I think I understand why Spurs fans would feel that way. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean we were talking about this yesterday. Phil, Kathleen, Ger, uh and Johnny 
thing about Levy is like he's, I suppose, uh, morally slightly better off maybe than other club owners in the Premier League. But at the same time, he jumped at the Super League when there was an opportunity to look like that. Mm. He was like, yeah, don't mind the Premier League. So he, he ain't so clean. But um, I wonder, I wonder, is the grass definitely greener without Levy? It's just, I, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. He gets an awful lot of criticism. Seems to me he's trying his best. He doesn't have this effervescent personality. He doesn't talk much in public. Doesn't look great when he doesn't do that. Uh, doesn't need to, though, does he? I don't know. You're not expected he's, he's to delivered this incredible stadium that I don't think um, should be unmentioned at the very least. Spurs still get top four? I don't think it should be unmentioned. <laughs> uh, Got to be mentioned. Uh, I don't think they can, can they? I, I mean, I think anyway. the top four is pretty. Like, no more than I was saying about Bournemouth. Who knows? It's uh, City, like. Arsenal, Newcastle, and Man United. I think it? that's the way it finishes. Yeah. Because Aston Villa, United have Villa, three Villa, games Villa, in hand. Exactly. Villa, Villa, Villa are not, Villa are not running. Yeah. Villa's form. No, they aren't running. They're absolutely They're in the Five points behind, and they've three. Uh, three games United have played. played three games less, so that's surely. Come on now. Even if United got four points out of those. Tottenham are not. Tottenham are six points behind with two more games played in United. That's mm. the top four is signed and sealed. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so I don't know. Villa, like. Villa are coming in. They've only five matches left. They've only 15 more points to play for. They're just running out of time. I, your man has done an unbelievable job. He was 15th. They were 15th when Emery came in. Ah. Like, just an incredible job they've done. And yeah. Like, every week that passes, I know this point's been made, but it does, it does say to you, Stevie G just needs to find a role in punditry. And <laughs> Doesn't look good, does he? Oh, he kept Rangers unbeaten for a season, Adrian. Yeah. Uh, our own Stephen Doyle pointed out last night after Villa won again. United play Tottenham on Thursday and then Villa go to Old Trafford. So they are in the top four race. Like when and Steve also points out here. Oh no, they're not. Emery, when Emery took over, they were 16th in relegation. Oh, it doesn't matter who they, they're. They're currently five points behind fourth place with three games extra played. If results go their way elsewhere, if I'm saying you, that, you, know, I'm saying you go from 16th to a Champions League contention, like potential manager of the year candidate here, like and Stevie G, like what, he must what, be looking on being all like. Yeah, are, you, are you saying that Villa are going to Villa that the top four is not going to finish as, as is? Um, no, I think it will. I'm just saying that they're ah, in contention right. as, a, as an outside oh, shot. Right. By the way, just before we go here for the ad, Evan Ferguson, new contract. Oh. Good move. 30 grand a week. So it's, what, 10 times more than he was on previously? Well-deserved, well-earned from Evan, I have to say. Um, the interest from Manchester United apparently was real and legitimate. They really did want him, but they realised fairly early on that it wasn't going to happen. Um, but... I think it probably is the best move for his career, isn't it? Staying at Brighton for another couple of years. I don't think there's any anyone that would, yeah. really from an Irish perspective, see that this is a bad thing at all. I really enjoyed watching Brighton, I have to say, oh, yeah. uh, through the lens of how's Evan Ferguson getting on over the last few months. Uh, I, the only thing that I was surprised about was that this didn't happen. You know, he signed new terms, I think it was in October, October when he just yeah. turned 18. I was, and I'd said it over the last couple of months that when the form had started to go that way, I was kind of almost a bit surprised that he hadn't sat down sooner. So it's no great surprise, and it probably is the right move. Like, it's probably... I don't know what you're talking about, but what length was the contract? The uh, new contract. 2028. 2028. So when so, that expires, he'll only be 23. Yeah, but he'll probably, he's not going to be there, he's not going to be at Brighton. But even if he was, just for argument's sake, yeah. he'd still have a whole career ahead of him. And the Euros, the Euros in Dublin that year as well? What a year that's going to be for He's probably going to do another year at Brighton. Right, and that's probably about right. Maybe another two years. Depends on how it goes. Uh, yeah, if he's, yeah, if exactly. he's continuing the current form, yeah. the clamour is going to be out. The clamour was already big. The clamour is going to be off the charts. If his I think, form years drops time. off next season, for argument's sake, then he might go. Well, you start to look at that point of what's the number? 
right? Mm. Like, as opposed to what does Evan Ferguson want to do his career? Because yeah. it is the right thing for him as a player now, clearly, for the next year to stay at Brighton. They're, hopefully, the manager stays there. Hopefully, That's they the thing, manage to hang on to Matoma and some of the other players yeah. that are around him that are creating the chances for him. But uh, I think the glamour will just, the money will get so big, probably, in, if he continues that current form. He'll just have to. They hold on to Casado and um, McAllister in midfield as well. Just yeah. keep the core of the team. And like you said, Adrian, Roberto De Zerbi is probably the big thing to stay. 100%. Have everything, like, he's in such a brilliant position and it's great to have uh, a potentially great Irish footballer again. Yeah, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep track of him. Ferguson, the hype train is real here in OTPM, as it usually is. Uh, on this Wednesday morning show, as I said, loads still to come. Shawnee Johnston talking the uh, Ulster semi-finals this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we'll have the sports news as well. Lee Keegan will be with us to talk more ga. Uh, Anthony Ford, who I mentioned, Wrexham footballer, uh, who is Irish. Colin Boyle, then from last night's show, we'll hear from later on. Uh, but after the break, it is Adam Pope talking Leeds. Okay, here's how Miro works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another 100 meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. All right, it's five past eight. You're watching OTP AM. You're welcome back to the show. We've loads still to come. We are going to spend a little bit more time talking about the uh, Leeds Leicester game last night. Adam Poe from the BBC was in commentary duty at it uh, yesterday evening. Adam, good morning to you. Morning, guys. Are you feeling, we were debating here a little bit earlier, are you feeling more or less positive after last night about Leeds' chances of staying up? Um, I've got to say less because I thought it was a must-win must game. Um, and after the uh, the optimism that I had about four games ago had dissipated completely uh, almost ahead of the game, and I'm a glass-half-full guy, you know, I follow in the back of three consecutive defeats, but much as Leicester would have felt they should have won the game, you know, ultimately Leeds have let it slip, and uh, I definitely look at it as two points dropped that last night. The So the, obviously they're 1-0 up and the goal goes in in the 80th minute and the, both teams have chances after that, including having the ball in the back of the net to, to see it out. It felt to me watching the game last night that it was a pivotal 10 minutes, given the slide particularly that had been there from Leeds over the last three games, that hanging on for that last 10 minutes was almost crucial to their ability to stay up. Yeah, they yeah, they had to make sure they didn't lose the game because Leicester... Probably about the hour mark started to play something like, you know, the quality that they've got, particularly Madison. And once Vardy came on, he just needed that one chance. And then after that, you thought there's only going to be one winner here. Although Leeds had that amazing set of chances just to, just towards the end. So yeah, it was right that they, they, they stayed on. The problem was, was that, um, the fans were like urgent to go forward and get the winner and were pleading for, Wilfred Nyonto and I heard something I'd never heard before guys literally the fans were singing make a sub to Javi Grafia mm. and I think one of the problems was they felt that it wasn't brave enough in the sense of the changes he made uh, either sort of from a forward position and also from a midfield that had started to run in treacle in the second half having done really well in the first half 
So that was a real frustration and it just felt inevitable that Leicester, once they'd scored one, that they were going to score a second. So in that sense, I get what you're saying. You know, holding on for the last 10 minutes was vital. Losing that game last night and uh, although many feel that way anyway about the point, uh, if they'd lost it last night, I think many felt it would be curt and some felt it, it already is. Um, they've been that despondent lately, but clearly there's, there's, there's every chance they still can get out. What was Javi Gracia's logic, Adam, for for not making that Nanto substitution in particular? Like, I think I heard read somewhere he's talking about wanting options on the counter attack, but clearly everyone in the stadium wanted those substitutions to be made. Yeah, they did, and he said he'd sort of uh, almost run out of the amount of changes. Obviously, allowed to make three, but that sort of doesn't explain why you don't play your most. Um, well, the star player at the moment, and he's been a surprise package, as everybody knows. He's been accelerated forward in not only in his purchase, but also in the way he's he's hit the Premier League. And although he was injured a little while ago, Javi said he's protected him a little bit. It doesn't seem to make sense that he doesn't, A, start him in the place of somebody like, say, Brendan Aronson, who was dropped last night, uh, although Rodrigo played well, but B, not bring him on for a sustained period of time. He felt he'd made the changes that were, were there to sort of either keep hold of the game or, or to go on and, and win the game, you know, by more, which they, they didn't do. So it's difficult to, I can't get a straight answer really as to why he's not playing him. But what he refuses to say is that anybody is particularly special. What I mean by that is it doesn't mean that that was special qualities, but he's not making, he's not bowing to public pressure just to play Willie Nonsa because everybody thinks that they're the manager and they know better and that he should play but to be quite frank it's absolutely baffling while he's not seeing more minutes even if he isn't starting because he is the guy and particularly if he starts he will grind a team down because of his effervescence and his ability to just keep running at defences and you know you looked at the left back last night for, for Leicester Victor Christensen, and you're thinking he was right for the taking there. And, you know, having Willie Nunn to run at him for 10, 15, 20 minutes could have made all the difference. But uh, it feels like a real moment missed in the game to have added some go forward, if you like, for Leeds, just as they were beginning to sort of feel like they were going backwards. There's obviously something he's not sure of, Adam, like either in terms of the team and their ability to hold defensively, and he couldn't be faulted for that looking at the, the three games previously, or something about the player himself, which seems unlikely. But that's the stuff that he can't talk about publicly, particularly where they're at uh, this stage of the season. Yeah, I think that's I think that's where people are feeling like, is there a problem here? But you know, maybe we're overthinking this and he's just... Um, taking a, a, an overcautious approach in, into the back end or into these few games where, you know, he felt that maybe not losing was 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 particularly important. But I don't think bringing Nyonto on into one of the four positions was going to sort of, you know, mm. disrupt them defensively. I, I'd say the problems were, were, were further back. I mean, McKenney and Rocker had te- poor games on Saturday at Fulham, McKenney particularly, and everybody was surprised that he was picked. I've got to say last night, he had a good first half. But second half, he was anonymous and Rocker was struggling too. Rocker misses a great chance. I get that late on, but they were struggling. And that's where the problems have been. And that's where people felt the change should have been more so, if you like. Yes, people wanted Nyonto to start, but others thought maybe Forshaw would have been a good place to start as well. So, and then to not change it, when there was the opportunity to change, it seems to be a real, a real mischance, certainly. So he's getting sort of pelters from a few sort of areas in terms of A, a selection and B, the lack of changes and the right changes. 
it's the level of scrutiny that's on a team like that that are hovering just above the relegation places of course as well every single little decision that gets made tactically or from a substitute's point of view gets analysed within an inch of its life as it did um, on the TV last night where there was a lot of chatter about the brilliant defensive work that a lot of the attackers were doing and some of the pundits particularly were um, vocal about the fact that the attackers should have been up the other end of the pitch easily said easily said when you're uh, when you're away from the heat of battle I presume when you're in the middle of it like the, the manager's obviously urging his players to defend like that but it's very hard then Adam to get the balance isn't it with, with the points that um, Leeds are clearly craving keeping the attackers at the area of the pitch where they have the possibility to do that finding that balance and it almost speaks to the Nanto conversation as well to a degree um, with trying to hold firm with an unbelievably leaky defence yeah, that's a really good point. And balance is the word that, that Harry Guthrie was using ahead of this game too about trying to combine it with the aggression that's required. The thing is, I think Nyonto provides that for you. Mm. He'll do the dirty hard yards coming back as well um, to give those defensive duties. As we saw with Somerville, uh, who I thought was also unlucky to be dropped. Sinistero scores a great goal, don't get me wrong, goes off injured. So th- they do have that. The the aggression he's looking for was there. And, and I know what you're saying, because I think you're probably referring to Rodrigo here. He mm. had a game where we literally thought he was going to take on the whole of Beeston and Hunslet. Mm. You know, he was so aggressive. Probably. He set the tone. Uh, he dropped back. He played more as a sort of like, you know, a hard tackling midfielder almost last night, um, as opposed to being right up there with Patrick Bamford. But his contribution was really telling and it lasted for, what, over an hour. But he wasn't doing a role that you'd normally expect him to. But it was effective last night, you have to say. And yeah, and it wasn't a game full of loads of chances either. You're not you're not thinking, oh, there's a ball that's gone in that Rodrigo should be in the end of. Um, so in that sense, it, it almost worked. It was fine, fine margins. But those defensive duties were done by players that you probably, yeah, you weren't expecting it, Rodrigo being one. Um, but when the chances did come, oh my word. I mean, the, the Mark Rocker moment, you know, a midfielder doesn't score that many goals and he's only got one so far this season. Great chance. And Bamford, although he was trying to be absolved of responsibility at the end by by the head coach saying that he would have been offside, mm. it's still a horrible miss whether you're offside or not. You've got to hit the target there. So, so yeah, but so in many ways, the team functioned quite well, uh, particularly in the first half. But in the second half, I felt they got a little bit overrun. And those sort of defensive qualities that you need to sort of keep keep Leicester at bay were just they were just running out of steam, to be honest. And it needed it needed you know a change, particularly in the middle of the park. And um, it's a real opportunity missed. And suddenly you've got a situation, guys, where you've got fans away from home having a go at the board and the sporting director. You've now got more fans now having to go at Javi Gracia. There's a, a real, I'm not saying it's a majority, but there's a real swell of opinion amongst fans that that maybe that his time is up already which then leads you down the path of what do you do now at this late late stage of the game it's probably too late to make any changes like that and just hope that he can rediscover you know the sort of method and and and, and the tactics that were required to get those early results that, that had them heading towards safety the Patrick Bamford miss in particular uh, as you say Adam was just incredible uh, regardless of, of offside or not but how do you explain that the the Bamford form or lack thereof? Because you see people online saying, you know, it's he's just a changed player. He's not the player he once was. Or and then there's others saying he just needs a goal or two to kickstart him again and get him on a roll and that striker's confidence and get it back. Where, where do you stand on Bamford and, and what's happened to him? 
Well, Patrick Bamford has been pretty much broken for, you know, the best part of, you know, 18 months with various injuries. I mean, all sorts. And people point back to, you know, the, the hard yards and the, in the BLC and the, you know, the high intensity and, and the training particular. And, the, and he had also, I mean, anything that could go wrong for Patrick Bamford has gone wrong. So to, to actually be back on the pitch playing and, and showing something like the fitness that we've seen before and his ability to occupy defenses, particularly that seems to be returning. He did a lot of good work, you know, winning free kicks, holding play up. Look, he has scored a few goals lately as well. But how do you explain that? I mean, yeah, as I say, regardless of whether he's onside or, or offside, you have to stick that between the posts. I mean, I still, where I was sat on the ground, I'm still thinking that's in. Everybody was out of their seat. It didn't even hit the side netting. It was that poor of a finish. So I'm used to him missing chances, even in the championship. He missed a lot of chances. Uh, I wouldn't say any as, as simple as that. But he scored enough, obviously, to, to help get Leeds up. You know, he now has 50 Leeds goals. He got 17 in the first season back in the Premier League when they were, um, when they finished ninth. So it's not like he's missing chance after chance after chance. It's just people will look back. If, if Leeds go down by a point or two points, they'll look back at that moment like they're doing and say, Oh, wow. That there was, that was the chance that was missed, you know, not to have won the game in, in a vital fixture like that. I stick with him because I don't think anybody else can do what he does. And that includes Rodrigo. Rodrigo is a finisher, but Bamford gets leads at the park. And that's why for me, he has to play. I saw you were retweeting some stats last night from uh, Johnny Cooper, who does some uh, stats for Opta on, on the passing accuracy uh, for Leeds last night. It was the second worst half, the second half of the season for them in terms of pass accuracy. You almost feel like that, that, that's nerves. Like when you get to a relegation battle and you get to a second half where you realise how important picking up three points as opposed to one is, the nerves can kick in. And, and Javi Gratia, as you mentioned, like he spoke about mentality during the week ahead of the game and how important that was. Do you feel that this Leeds squad in particular, Adam, have the mentality needed to, to stay in the Premier League? I think some of them have, and I think that's why you've had the clamour for like Liam Cooper to return, which he has. I think he's been really solid. Um, all right, there was a couple of mistakes last night, but he made some massive interventions at crucial times, particularly on Harvey Barnes early on in the game. I think Luke Ayling, although he struggled a bit for him lately, he's, he's been exposed at times. I'm so glad to see him back because he gets it. He was in the championship side that came up and the side that stayed up in the Premier League. So I think there are players with that mentality. I just think there's there's not enough there at the moment that A, fans can have an affinity with to think that they understand what it is to play for Leeds and B, whether they really understand just how to cope with um, with life in a lead shirt, which can be really heavy, particularly if things are turning against you. In terms of the fact that the fans look support them unconditional, unconditionally, they're there all the time. But when things are getting tense in the stadium, it's really hard for players. It, 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 it really is. But last night, I think you made a really good point there. We were with Matt Kilgallen, former defender for Leeds. He knows what it's like to play in these sorts of atmospheres. It's amazing what pressure does to players. I don't know if you saw it, but you know Elon Melia made a couple of brilliant saves, then hit, then skewed two kicks terribly. Mark Rocker literally fly hacking like a Sunday League player at, at, at a couple of balls too late on when it was one one. And it's incredible what that sort of pressure and the and the state of playing the league does to you with ten minutes to go and you're locked if you like at one one. So some of them are really struggling to cope with it. The pass accuracy thing's really weird, isn't it? Because I was watching on Saturday that, I mean, Weston McKenney had a dreadful game 
passing-wise. In possession, he was awful. But last night, that second half, I I genuinely think some of the players just aren't up to speed with the Premier League. And I put that with McKenney for 90 minutes. And I think Rock has struggled too. And I think when that tiredness slips out, when that pressure comes, then the passes start going astray too, even the simple balls. And um, I think it's a really good point you make that the mentality required to get over the line, it doesn't seem to be completely there with all the players at the moment. You mentioned Aronson earlier on, um, ailing. Uh, Tyler Adams been linked with some of the uh, bigger clubs. There are probably other players as well that that I'm sure clubs around the Premier League and beyond are are looking at and eyeing up. Regardless of whether Leeds stay up or not, what's your sense, Adam, of the? And and I appreciate that some of this will be dependent on which division they're playing in next season. But is uh, are we talking about a rebuild or what level? Well. <laughs> If they went down, I think there's enough players to keep them certainly competitive at the top end of the of the championship. Um, you know, you'd still get a tune from your Coopers, your Ailings, but and because I think they'd they'd stay. But look, if they go down, well, I mean, people aren't wanting McKenny to be bought at this stage anyway. But he's on loan from Juventus, then that that's not going to happen. I think Melier would go. I think I do think he's going to be a Champions League and, and France is number one. Um, you can see Bamford staying at this point because you don't see a Premier League future for some of these players beyond other than being at Leeds. Yeah. But then you know you're thinking, you know, Adams would have to go, wouldn't he? You know. Um, and then you can go right through the team like that. You're thinking Sinister is not going to play in the Championship. Nyonto would be sold. So. Whether they want to rebuild or not, they would have to, wouldn't they? Uh, clearly, because, you know, some of those players are too talented for the championship and, and it'd be damaging for their career. Um, if they stay up, they've got to build again too, because quite clearly this squad is not capable of evolving the club forward from other, uh, anything other than a relegation battle. And that is not what was the, that wasn't the deal when, when Bielsa was sat, it was, the whole premise was that Jesse Marsh was going to come in, move the club forward and evolve it. And obviously now it's in another firefighting situation with a manager that wasn't even first, second, third or fourth choice. So the squad isn't there to, to move forward. So it does need a rebuild. Whatever way you look at it, it's either forced to rebuild in a different way to, to cope with the championship life and come back into the Premier League or to move them forward in the top flight. And at the moment, they're, they're a lot of money away from doing that. And of course, a takeover, which is, um, you know, it looks like the 49ers will be coming in sooner rather than later. Don't know what the situation is definitely if they go down at the championship, guys. I think the price will be a lot less, clearly. But otherwise, you're looking at the, the thick end of a sort of 450 million, 500 million pound deal for them to take over the club, which we would imagine would be in the summer if they stay in the Premier League. Um, but then you need the finances on top of that, clearly, to, to move the squad forward. And one of the big things as well is like the current regime, director of football, Victor Orta, is, is getting a lot of hammer for the signings that haven't worked and the mistakes that have come to light. John Kevin Augustine fast, for example, for, for the transfer and the wages that they're going to have to pay on a five-year deal. Jorginho Ruta, 36 million, sat on the bench. Uh, doesn't look anywhere near a Premier League player at this point. And obviously, some of the names I've already mentioned too that just aren't working at the moment. So it does need a rebuild. And there's a big feeling that this current regime has run its cycle. Um, Adam, you mentioned the word discontent there a few minutes ago. Like, And we see a lot of the discontent from Leeds fans on social media, for sure. But that's a place where you're going to see that sort of thing anyway. What what was it like in in Ellen Road last night? Like, is it is it fervent? Is it is it as bad as we see on social media, or, or what's what's the atmosphere among the, among the fans like? It match going fans. 
Well, it was interesting because I think we were expecting it to could turn toxic pretty quickly. What they did was, so when we got into the ground, I have to say, it didn't feel as nervy as I was expecting it to. And we're sat right in amongst the crowd in, in, the, in the John Charles and the West Stand there. So you, you do feel it around you. Yeah, people were tense and they were, you know, anxious, obviously, but it wasn't, so you didn't feel it was going to boil over. Um, and that, I think, was because they set the tone in the first five minutes by going at Leicester pretty hard. There was a few challenges left in. Rodrigo was bumping players off the ball. And I think that really, really helped. They thought, right, Leeds are about this today. They're, they're setting about Leicester and they're going to go for it. So that certainly stopped it from turning towards the board, which we were expecting, to be honest. We've seen it a few times already this season. The discontent really set in into the second half when it was clear that Leicester were getting on top and the substitutes weren't being made that, you know, that, that everybody was was trying to suggest. And then there were a few cries towards Victor Orta on the final whistle too, but it wasn't, uh, it didn't ball over in the way that we expected it might have done yesterday because of the way that the game transpired from the off. But by the end of it, people are feeling, you know, that's, that's, that's two points dropped. And, and to be quite frank, a lot of people think Leicester should have won the game too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, five games left for Leeds, starting with that uh, trip to Bournemouth this coming Sunday at uh, two o'clock. We'll keep track uh, of how things pan out for Leeds over the next uh, number of weeks. Adam, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Pleasure, guys. Cheers. Great stuff. Adam Pope there, broadcaster with the BBC. Yeah, we've got a few comments coming in, Adrian, as well, on the Leeds situation. Chris says, the Leeds centre mid is awful. Bad passing, bad positional sense. McKinney is like a child, wants to take everything going forward and won't get free to help out a fullback. Every goal is through the middle. Interesting one from JP Wright as well. Would Bamford make the Ireland squad now? Nah. <laughs> Probably not. The ones that clamour for it at a time. Um, yeah, look, at, I don't know. I, like, I do believe that point that we were chatting about there, that every single thing that happens in a team that are in that position gets screwed nice to within an inch of its life and maybe there's an element of that that's right but certainly there was a little bit of fight shown last night obviously with some of those attacking players Robbie Savage was uh, he savaged the oh see what you did there um, their, you know he said oh the clip that they were showing last night was Leeds attacking players defending and he was saying it should be Leeds attacking players attacking now uh, who am I to um, challenge the opinion of a player who's had such an epic career mm-hmm. um but <laughs> you're going to do it anyway. Well, I mean, if if Leeds end up, it's it's an impo- it's a very it's an impossible thing to know because we could be easily have been sitting here this morning, but Leeds have been meeting two one. At which point you would have been saying, well, if they just track back and they'd put in a challenge or try to leg in midfield, and there were certainly players doing that, and they were certainly showing a bit of passion. Um, so it's like it is impossible to know if it was a point right that was like moving them. Five points clear of the relegation places. You would have said that you know, Javi Grassi has done everything that's exactly required. He was right to leave Nanto on the bench. The attackers were right to be mm. defending. It's just, the context of where they're at is so important. But I do think, like just looking at the fixture list, I think it'll come down to the last day of the season for Leeds, as it will for clearly if, if that's going to be the case. Yeah, it'll be the case for some of the players around them, and they have Spurs. So. Uh, reason to be hopeful. There was a point in time where we thought that the the title race, the top four race, and the Relegation battle would all come down to the last day of the season. Mm. Probably looking maybe top less four, likely on top four done. Probably done. Yes, uh, fifth race. will be up for up for. Um, that race we'll see, but it depends oh, on tonight. I mean, probably. We haven't even mentioned tonight. Like <laughs> no, you forget I, tonight. I, I said on the show last week, Shane. Right before it was it was Friday, so it was before the Southampton match. So I'm not captain hindsight. Of course, I did say that I would see a position where uh, Arsenal could could beat City. I'm not saying they will beat City, but I could see a position where Arsenal 
could beat City mm. and still lose the league. Yeah. Because of what was going on around them. And I felt that before the Southampton game. I sure the shit felt it after the Southampton game. Yeah. And you just they're it's they're a very hard team to def- uh, depend on. Well, that's going to be an absolute cracker tonight, Arsenal Man City. I mean, we'll we'll of course look back on that game. Uh, could be could be three, could end, that game could end up three 0 to City. But yeah, whereas you can't see it ending up three 0 to Arsenal. You can't, like realistically speaking. Um, we cover all bases and say could also end up one one. Could one. three draws in a row for Arsenal. Can't, I can't see an Arsenal. No, especially the, the recent form for sure. Can't see it. But uh, as I said, we'll, we'll react to that game uh, for sure on tomorrow's show. Now uh, we will be hosting a live UEFA Champions League roadshow in partnership with Just Eat. It's coming your way on the third of May in the Mansion House in Dublin. We'll be joined by UEFA Champions League winners John O'Shea and Wes Brown. As well as the Arsenal legend Paul Merson, it's sure to be a brilliant night's entertainment. This is an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited, so don't delay. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events. See you on the night. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. Now turning our attention back to the GA and to Ulster GA. Time to say a very good morning to the former Cavan footballer, Shawnee Johnston. Shawnee, good morning. How are things? Morning, man. How are you? Keeping well. Thanks for joining us as per usual. We figured we'd uh, take a bit of an in-depth look to uh, head to the uh, Ulster Senior Football Championship semi-final action this weekend. So Derry versus Monaghan is at Healy Park in Oma this Saturday at 5 o'clock and then on Sunday at 4 in Clonus is the meeting of Down in Armagh. Uh, we might as well start with the, with the opening game. Uh, Shawnee, a figure. So Derry, Monaghan in, in, in Oma. This one's getting the appetite wetted, I think. A lot of people expected it to be a Derry-Tyrone semi-final. Uh, it hasn't panned out that way, but either way, Rory Gallagher... He probably has a few things to iron out. The goal concessions, maybe in particular against Dublin and, and uh, Fermanagh as well, will be will be one of those things, Shawnee. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose it's interesting. People are kind of making a correlation towards these goals are getting conceded when Connor Glass is not on the field. So um, that's a big thing for Derry. Uh, I'm a big fan of this Derry team, but I think a huge thing for them is obviously going to be squad depth, particularly going into. Um, the All-Ireland series where matches are coming thick and fast. They need their best players on the field. That was probably seen in the league final. They were without McCaig, without McAvoy, without Connor Glass. So when they have their best 15 slash best 18 players on the field, because he doesn't tend to use too much more than that, um, they're going to be a formidable outfit and it'll be a challenge for anyone. But when they're down one or two players, you've seen it when, without McCaig, the struggle to pick up Conor Callahan, he had done such a good job on him in Celtic Park. And then without class, their defensive structure isn't just as, as compact and as strong. So keeping all their best players in the field is going to be huge for Derry. When you think of those big men, you mentioned Conor Glass, um, Niall Toner as well, and Brendan Rodgers. A little bit naive, you felt watching that, that Fermanagh match, Fermanagh seemed to go long with a lot of the kickouts early on, which just played into Derry's hands. You'd imagine, if you're Vinnie Corey and you're Rory Began, especially this weekend, you're thinking about that. I mean, the long kickouts against Derry just don't seem to work most of the time. Yeah, but, you know, there's risk-reward too, because... If you go short against Derry, you're going to be defending or you're going to be attacking against 15 bodies for literally every single attack that you have. So the idea of potentially, and it's a big, it's a big word, potentially winning your long kickouts gives you a better opportunity to hurt them, gives you more of a chance of getting ball into O'Hanlon, McCarran, McManus. Um, but like Derry are going to do, like they don't seem to change in terms of their kick-out strategy. They'll go man-to-man and they'll, they'll hope to pick off maybe two or three, not maybe not even that amount, maybe two short kick-outs of Rory Beggins where they'll put really, real pressure on and they'll be able to turn over one or two of them and they'll hope to get a goal chance out of that. But look, Monaghan need to have a lot of variety in their game. Are they good enough to beat Derry? 
yeah, um, do I think they will? I, I don't think they will. I, I just think this dairy team are they're kind of on a crest of a wave. They're very, very well set up. But Monon's big thing, and they got caught on it last year, is that Derry, against the better teams, probably are going to require goals to win the game. So if Monon can keep their, you know, keep their goal intact, it gives them a far better chance of winning this game. Yeah, I think it was was it three twelve. Derry scored Monon seventeen points last year, so oh, it was the goals that you say that that uh, that killed them off. Like interestingly, watching the the both Derry and Monaghan's quarterfinal games, you see Oren Lynch and Rory Bagan both in that hybrid quarterback sort of role. I think people have called it, where they are getting forward to the ball a lot, and and even we saw Began his ball into Carl Gallagher led directly to Stephen O'Hanlon's uh, opening goal for Monaghan. Do you expect to see more of the same? Both goalkeepers utilizing that kind of outfield option plenty this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, Lynch's role gets, I suppose, doesn't nearly get as much scrutiny as, as a begging. Uh, he gave that beautiful backdoor uh, kick pass cut to Paul Cassidy for mm-hmm. the goal against Fermanagh. Uh, begging give it in for the, for Gallagher for O'Hanlon's goal. So they're both crucial parts of, uh, the defensive strategy of both teams, but also the offensive strategy of both teams. And, you know, you, you get a lot of man-marking jobs in Ulster Championship, so you'll get a lot of players that teams will want to play that quarterback role and they'll be man-marked and they won't necessarily be able to drop off. For example, if Derry go down the left-hand side, they will they will likely want to get someone on that 45-metre line to play that quarterback role. But they will probably want it to be a McGuigan or... Uh, or Niall Toner or Nathan Doherty, but that's not going to happen because Monaghan will have marker for them. So that allows Lynch to tip up the field at his ease potentially and get in that role. And now these goalkeepers are so comfortable on the ball that it's going to come a stage where they're nearly going to have to be picked up from inside their own 45. Like Began is so astute. Lynch is now so astute. Uh, all the top teams, or a lot of the top teams, Rafferty is now probably the best in the country at it because he has the pace to carry the ball. Like he's quicker than most uh, outfield players. I've seen him pulling away from several Cavan players at the weekend. So it's become a real, real important part of the game. And these boys are such good kick passers of the ball and finders of their own men that they're, they're really becoming a pivotal part of the attacking strategies. How do the respective teams, Shawnee, handle Shane McGuigan and Conor McManus because we saw Fermanagh try to go man for man for, for large swathes at the early part of that game with Derry and it just led to a lot of space for McGuigan and, and chances of pot shots from, from very close in uh, and then McManus we saw what he could do in, uh, against Tyrone as well just just unbelievable uh, a lot of points from, from freeze but uh, really involved in a lot of the good things that Monaghan did so how, how do you handle those those two players? Well, it's probably unlikely Derry will go too far away from what they did last year, Shane. You know, I know they went McCaig on McCarran, did a job. Like McCaig is a phenomenal player and he doesn't care about the ball. I know that sounds silly, but he, he doesn't. He just wants to stop his opposing number getting on the scoreboard. And it's a huge, you know, mentality strength of his. He's just going out with completely that mindset. They put McCluskey on McManus last year. Again, he did a good job. But like Derry, you know, when when we talk about man marking roles for Derry, you're not being left one v one. You're never being left one v one unless, you know, obviously in Crow Park they got. They got caught a bit with a, a kind of high ball that went in that was going for a point and, and it got dropped short. But that was, like I say, without McAvoy and McCaig, that bit of size in their full back line. But you'd imagine that they'll go McCluskey again 
uh, on on McManus, uh, try and shore up that D area, stop those little pop balls in. And McManus is really, really good, and he's got re- so much better at winning marks because he knows if he wins a mark, it's a point. No, no matter where it is inside that 45, he's so accurate and he's so smart. He looks in really good shape. He looks pumped up. He was uh, re- extremely excited in the second half against Tyrone. He's just a class act. McGuigan's a bit different because... He will do, he will do, you know, a bit different things than, than McManus. Connor's going to stay inside, try and wait for those moments. Um, you know, I know from speaking to a couple of the real top forwards in the game, they just talk about, like, I don't need to have 20 possessions. I need to get maybe five or six possessions and make the most of them. If I kick one tree, I've had a brilliant game. McGuigan will come out and get involved in Derry's defensive structure. He will get out and link the play. He will be that quarterback if Monaghan let him. Um, so he has a lot of strings to his bow. He kicked two five against Fermanagh on a very very, very good player. Those two Cullens are, are, are extremely good defenders and he caused them havoc. Now, I know Fermanagh were probably not set up as defensively as usual. They seem to go man-to-man a lot and that, you know, if you do that against the likes of McGuigan, he's going to hurt you. So, you know what, Monaghan have a decision to make with him, uh, who to decide to put on him, um, but it's a key matchup for them. The and those matchups will be will be crucial. Even if you look at players like like Stephen O'Hanlon from Monaghan perspective, we saw last week the importance of of a forward just taking on your man. Like he, he decides to take on Conor Myler and it, it leads immediately to a goal. You don't see it very often in Gaelic football, but but when it happens and when it's pulled off by a, by, by a forward, it is lovely to see. And it, it's it's an indicator, as you say, goals wins win these Ulster games more often than not. Yeah, it's class to see. Uh, it's something teams don't do enough because a lot of teams are now so possession orientated they're afraid if you go into the tackle you'll be turned over now the only thing about doing that against potentially a Derry is when he took Myler on he, it was single you know linear line to the goal if, mm. he, if he takes whoever he takes on he's going to meet another body uh, and that's where you come into a bit of trouble against Derry where you just need to be really smart and you need to be able to probe them and probe them and then when you get your opportunity like Stephen O'Hanlon did you need to be able to attack that line and attack that man marker 1v1 because what happens I think to these teams that defend with a lot of bodies is that they're now not used to defending 1v1 so every time Monaghan get a chance with the likes of an O'Hanlon with the likes of uh, uh, Ryan O'Toole these boys that have serious, serious pace and they get a 1v1 I think it's important that they take that opportunity and that they're really brave in an attacking sense because there's going to be a lot of times where they're not going to be able to do that they're going to need to be able to probe they're going to be need to be able to look for these pop hand passes and get runners coming hard off the shoulder they're going to need to attack down the sidelines because Derry are going to block up that D area so you know really really compact and Monaghan are going to need to get in threes and fours down the sidelines get into the 13 metre line as much as they can because if they can get into that 13 metre line their probability of scoring goes up substantially so Look, these are things that they're going to be discussing all week and that's what makes for such an intriguing battle. I see uh, Conor Glass is out in a lot of the papers today. He was at a launch yesterday and uh, we kind of touched him a little bit earlier on but uh, he's obviously had a lot to say about the club final too and I'm sure there's a bit of fire in the belly off the back of that too that uh, keeps him going for the year. Um, what We've talked about him for so long, the impact of him, the age he's at and how much he could uh, end up dominating around the middle for Derry for years to come. Um, people are very aware of his talents and uh, but not always able to um, tone him down what do uh, what do Monaghan do with him yeah look it's not uh, like to me the Derry midfield is now 
the best midfield in the country. Um, you're looking at Dublin with Fenton and McCarthy. Uh, and I think what, what helps Glass so much, honestly, is that teams are now focusing so much on Brendan Rodgers. Uh, he's such an attacking force for Derry Rodgers. Like, he's exactly what they need because, you know, they know that a lot of their attacks are potentially going to be quite slow because they have 15 men behind the ball. And I know you'll see them sprint up into their full forward line to give them that depth in the attack. But Rodgers allows them to break lines. And when he does that, Glass tends to be off his shoulder. And Glass is a, a better kicker than Rodgers, if that makes sense, in terms of a, a score getter. I think Rodgers is just so quick and powerful and he draws defenders to him and then they can get Doherty and Glass off the shoulder. Uh, Monaghan... Uh, it's a big call for them because they have they have a lot of people to tie down there. You know, a lot of Derry's major influences are going to be coming from deep. Obviously, you have McGuigan up front and Ethan Doherty up front. But, you know, McFall has another couple of weeks in the legs. Potentially, could he start? Potentially, I'd say, he's, is he going to get game time? But with, with, with Glass and Rogers, you're nearly getting to the stage where you're thinking you need to man-mark both of them, but that makes you very, very suspect at the back because, you know, it's taken two people out of your defensive shape. And this Derry team have now become so game-aware that when you're getting man-marked, you've seen Rogers at times with James McCarthy was man-marking him. He would go to the sideline. He would just head off, stay and keep himself out of the attacking sense and allow... Dublin to be down one body in terms of defence. And one body is important, especially to this Derry team. It opens up gaps, particularly in Crow Park, particularly in bigger fields. But, you know, in in, uh, in Oma this weekend, you'll see if Monaghan decide to man-mark both of them, you'll see at times the two of them just pulling themselves out of the attack. They'll hold back, uh, potentially, to try and get in that quarterback role if they can, or even deeper, and they'll allow the other boys to go and attack and, and cut into those holes that are left. The uh, the Armagh Down semi final then I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to get a fix on uh, I was trying to all the way through with Shawnee uh, trying to figure out which way you were leaning there by the way <laughs> Derry right uh, firmly or what are you thinking I, I think Derry will win uh, can Monaghan beat Derry I, I just think this Derry team are, are too far ahead of them at the minute um, but again you know. The reliance on goals is a, is a big thing, but you know, I thought that I thought Tyrone would beat Monaghan, and I thought that Tyrone can come and put in a big performance and potentially challenge Derry big time because this Tyrone team, we know that they can put in a big, massive performance. Now, I know Monaghan went and did that in Oma, and Oma is a very difficult place to go and win, um, particularly against the Tyrone team at home that were coming off the back of a good end of end of league campaign. But I just think this Derry team are, are too far down the line. Uh, that confidence boost they got from last year has has stood them in unbelievable stead. They're looking at winning All-Ireland, but not, not looking at winning All-Ireland without winning an Ulster Championship, I don't think. They're just so competitive about winning every game. You saw their manager on the sideline uh, in Brewster Park, a place he knows well, literally, you know, so combative, so competitive, ch- uh, chasing every turnover, ch- uh, cheering every score. So, uh, yeah, I just don't see them being beaten this weekend. That's what we want to hear in Monaghan anyway. I think Gary are massive favourites. Not happy now, Shawnee. You've yeah, upset him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just you did see. tell me to put the pressure on them before I come on. <laughs> good man, good man, Shawnee. I can't see Gary being beaten, lads. I just can't <laughs> see it. it. Wink, wink. Get out of it. Um, down is the other one in, in Clonus on, uh, on Sunday afternoon. Shawnee, you'll have seen Armagh up close and personal um, uh, when they beat Cavan in the, in the quarter final. And, and look, they had nine different scorers. They were, they were reasonably impressive. Seven ahead at half time, five ahead at, uh, at full time. Pretty good performance from Armagh. There's probably more left in the tank still as well. Yeah, 
pretty good performance. Like the thing, I suppose, for in that game is if, if you offered Cavan the majority of those metrics before the game that it took them. Mm. Uh, I think Armagh only won 30% of their own kick out the second half. Um, you know, they got a lot of scores off turnovers. Cavan gave up the ball far too cheaply to them. But like, they've now got an attacking element without a Ryan O'Neill, uh, without Stephen Campbell scoring from play. Turbot is a real, you know, he's not called Turbo for nothing. He has gas, he has a jink, uh, and he can finish. Um, so in that regard, He's a real test for any defence. Uh, look, our man, know they're going to have to brush up on their own kickouts. Cabin put a real squeeze on them, got six points off. It was the only way Cabin were going to really score against them because they couldn't break them down. This Armagh defensive structure has definitely got a bit stronger in the throughout the National League. So the best way of getting at them is to put real pressure on their on their long kickout. I think Cabin got six scores off Ethan Rafferty's kickouts. He only won about fifty odd percent of his kickouts. So um, there's room for improvement. They didn't score for the last seventeen minutes. People will say, well, they had their job done. The game was won. But look, you're, you're constantly trying to find areas of improvement. They had 114 scored, I think, at about 54, 55 minutes. And they didn't, they didn't push on from that. So that's an area for them to, to go after. Their own kick out is an area for them to go after. But look, they were impressive. As you said, they had nine different scores. If they can get that up to 10 or 11 and have a Reen O'Neill back in who kicks three or four points, then, you know, they're going to take beating. We chatted after the Antrim game about how they'd showed a bit more ambition in attack that wasn't particularly evident during the league and like maybe again on the basis of, of last week there's more evidence that they're trying to get that ball ahead of the wave. You mentioned like Turbot, there's obviously Grugan there, Campbell and, and a few more as well. It looks like they have plenty of options. It looks like, now I will say that like, uh, and again I, I know who I'm speaking to here but obviously Antrim are at a level, Cavan are probably a bit, a bit above that and it's another step up again this weekend. Do you expect that that ambitious Football that trying to get ahead of the defensive wave to continue for our as the season progresses. Yeah, well, look, is it another step up? Like you know, Cavan comfortably put down a side in the National League. Yeah, down are going to get serious boosts from beating Donegal. And if there's one thing about a downside coming to an Ulster semi final after having a win under their belt, they'll be confident of winning. They're going to be very defensive. You see them very similar to Donegal a couple of years ago where they try and suck bodies into that D area and then they'll get three and four bodies around. And down are purely based on pace. Armagh aren't going to be naive in terms of they'll keep their defensive structure because they no down want uh, Armagh when they're in an attacking sense to suck as many bodies up forward as possible and then hit them with real pace in terms of Liam Kerr, Daniel Guinness and these boys that are going to come hard from their half back line. Um, but the defensive structure for Armagh is important. Um, they now have, as you said, those names up front in terms of Grugan, O'Neill, Mernon's a key file for, for Turbot up there. So they have options up there. Um, Again, down very like Derry. Now they're nowhere near as far on the, down the line as Derry, but they they rely on goals as well. They love getting goals. They had opportunities. I remember I saw them in Breffney Park this year and the two or three real good goal chances. So I think down are going to need goals to win the game. Um, I just want to take you back to the first point that you made there in relation. And it's a fair enough observation that Down and Cavan are probably not a million miles away from each other. I was convinced that after the Talton Cup last year that uh, it was going to be a major boost for Westmeath and for Cavan that they were going to be able to show the teams that are roughly at their level that the value of all those extra games they got. How disappointing on the basis of all of that um, and I know that you say obviously a lot of the metrics were good they had so many chances that there were wasteful you know an extra little bit of percentage of those go over suddenly it's a different game but how disappointing was it uh, with the outcome last night uh, last weekend? Yeah, it, it, 
extremely disappointing. It's, it's also extremely frustrating because I mentioned those metrics. Like, and, and I don't want to get into it because Armagh were, were the better team. Armagh deserved to win. Um, but Cavan had like nine or ten more possessions than them. They had ten more shots than them. So they had a load. They had enough ball to win the game. Um, they didn't ask enough questions of the Armagh defence. They probably didn't probe them enough. They took shots from outside the scoring zone, which is a decision-making thing as well as a skill execution thing. So in that regard, you'd imagine the players and management would be very frustrated. Um, like I said, they had enough ball, but they didn't work them hard enough. Um, and it's nearly, I, I get this sense, and I, I got it even with, with Donegal, when, te- and when teams talk, and with Derry at the minute, teams talk about defensively set up teams. What does that do to the... The, the mindset of the opposition that are playing them. I, I think it just makes them force things a little bit more. You'll see teams against Derry going, okay, we, there's, we have to get a shot off really, really quickly here or else they're going to have 15 behind the ball. Teams did it against Donegal. There's an extra panic in their attacking sense where it's nearly like there's a shot clock on them in basketball when there's not. Okay, we know Donegal, Derry down, are going to defend with 15 behind the ball. Let's just keep the ball. Let's probe them. Let's go down the sideline. Let's stack our runners the far side and see can we hurt them in those areas areas instead of the constant panic of oh they're going to have so many men behind the ball everyone's talking now our are defensively far more solid than the where they've worked really hard defensively during the national league it's going to be so much harder to score against them so what do we need to do we need to get a shot off as quickly as we can but you don't need to do that and i think that's what calvin did at the weekend you know they took shots from areas that they wouldn't usually do. They didn't break out of their defence quick enough to, to get Armagh under pressure. There was one, you know, one example in particular, Rushing Kieran won the ball. He hit a beautiful pass up to Oshin Brady for their second point of the game and they were able to hurt Armagh in a fast transition. Um, Armagh want to play with a really fast transition. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll suck you in and then they'll break really, really quickly and they were able to do that better than Cavan. I think that was the key difference between the two teams at the weekend. What's the prediction then, Shawnee, for, for Armagh down? Who are Derry going to play in the Ulster final? <laughs> Derry or Monaghan Shane sorry of course, of course. Um, yeah, who are look you have to fancy Armagh I, I honestly think that this would be you know I think Kieran McKeever come out and said oh we're looking ahead to six weeks down the line I, I, I don't buy that I, I think just Armagh team really, really, really want to win an Ulster Championship. They certainly want to get to an Ulster Final. They're 15 years without getting to an Ulster Final. They're not going into an Ulster Semi-Final against their very, very near neighbours uh, and not wanting to put in a massive performance. It's very hard to see Armagh not winning. Down have definitely made improvements. I think they'll make substantial improvements under uh, with this management team. But it's hard to see them being there yet. They didn't get out of Division 3 Yes, to beat a Division One team in Donegal, but they're going through their issues at the minute. So, look, I, I fancy Armagh to win it. Looking forward to the action anyway, regardless, across uh, Saturday and Sunday. Shawnee, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, man. Great stuff. Shawnee Johnston there, former Cavan footballer at uh, 8.48, 8.49 a.m. now on uh, this Wednesday morning's O2BAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Cahill Milani joins us in studio as well this morning. Morning, Cahill. Hiya, lads. How's it going? Would you be a Cahill or a Cahill? Oh, yeah. What? Cahill. 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 Yeah, bring modern thing we take Cal. No, I think yeah, I think like a, an Ulster thing is Cal. Why is that? Like Cal McShane. Oh, well, the Cahill probably McShane. the Ulster Irish, obviously, possibly. Yeah. Maybe some people say Cal McShane. That um, that point that he makes there in relation to the transition, um, there there I there is nothing that frustrates life out of me more than like um, well supporting uh, being a Westmead supporter is a. Honestly, I, I'm not like there's uh, no element of a gag in this. It absolutely uh, enrages me. Like there are eight points up the other day, and I'm honestly looking at the thing the going. Out. I am. I'm looking at it going. 
I guarantee you Louth are going to get back into this. Like, there's yeah. just no... But that point but, that he makes about the transition is bang on. And it's the reason that I would have thought that the progress that both Westmead and Cavan made in the Talton Cup last year, that that uh, possibility to play another four or five games, competitive matches against teams at your level, to work on stuff mm. like the transition and trying to get ahead of that defensive wave, that sh- stuff shouldn't, I don't believe now, I think it's a bad reflection on management teams if that stuff is now catching you after the bank of games that they've had, the opportunity to work on them for days like against Armagh or against Louth. Mm. Well, how will Westmead fare in the, the group phase? Like, do you think they can bounce I, back from it? I, I look, I've said this before, it sounds absolutely ludicrous on the basis of last week. Uh, Westmead, when they put it together, are a very good yeah. team. I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think, think they could get a result in, in Mullingar. They'll have one home game in Mullingar, yeah. won't they? So. Yeah. And depend, depend, it'll depend on who, who, it depend on who it is and depend on how that Their goes. Seeds, aren't I, they? I genuinely believe that. Like I've seen them against really good teams. Um, they, they didn't put Kildare to the pin of their collar last year. Kildare won it at a canter, but only by three points. Mm. And I think that Westmead, they're not far off. They just need to be more consistent. I don't know, I don't know how you manifest that. And I suppose most teams could say if they could put their best stuff together consistently, then they'll be there but they have a lot of good players they have plenty of ability to take scores couldn't have always said that about Westmead teams yeah. in the past anyway people don't want to hear about Westmead but I'm it I just know. It well, you could get a slide though and uh, Monaghan and, uh, and then one of the big teams maybe in the group and mm-hmm. then you're looking at maybe targeting your home game maybe getting something out of the neutral game and you're, you're one of the top three teams then you progress well Westmead winning one game in that sequence of games is success for the year yeah. Yeah. one win should see you through, well yeah. three teams on. get through out of four yeah. one yeah. win is quite likely to yeah, but you know, there yeah. could be a team in the group that that doesn't win any any games, you know. So we could we could Westmead for Sam. Just saying, there's a chance. Has <laughs> <laughs> a ring to it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you've been looking, lads, at um, the new All Blacks backroom team coaching ticket for after the the World Cup. There's been some decisions made, some names left out as well that uh, may be quite surprising. Um, but yeah, Scott Robertson confirming his coaching ticket that will take over from November first. Um, the former Monster Centre and coach Jason Holland on board coach the All Blacks attack well, alongside Leon McDonald um, some other big names in there as well but uh, it's a fascinating one yeah well there would, I, it wasn't a thought that I had had before talking to Ronald Gar last week that Andrew Goodman could be a possibility yeah. for the All Blacks team and he's not on the list so that I, well my first thought Shane, when I read that first thing this morning was great Andrew Goodman's not there that's brilliant he'd say at Leinster and then I thought oh looking at the names and the positions that are now vacant mm. oh, that'll be the next thing that you'll, get. <laughs> you'll end up getting linked with those because I was listening to James Tracy he was in with uh, Johnny and Jerry yesterday and had uh, so much good things to say about Andrew Goodman everything you hear about him is uh, a recommendation of the man so we'll see interesting uh, ticket for the All Blacks course but well Jesus yeah it's, it's the greatest job in, in a backroom for, for any of these coaches isn't it the choreography of it all though like it all happening before the World Cup that they've confirmed everything I know there's been some debate about whether that's the right way to go about your business mm-hmm. and that you know certain coaches might not be available if they waited until after the World Cup to, to put it all together but you can't uh, help but feel that it, it might just undermine the current setup a little bit too and that they're already looking ahead to what's happening after the World Cup mm-hmm. um, a bit of that yeah yeah so like it's it's uh, it's difficult for the present management team, I would say. Yeah, fascinating um, approach. But then, again, it's such a competitive environment in terms of trying to recruit people of a high standard to get in there. I suppose you've got to do your business quickly. I'd say that I'd say there's a lot of people. Jason Holland, of course, former Munster, um, got uh, cap for Ireland A, mm. um, like big links, obviously, with Munster in Ireland. Um, it, it, I think coming in under Scott Robertson is a really attractive prospect, like if you've been watching him over the last few years. Yeah, yeah. The enthusiasm, you listen to what O'Gara has to say about him. 
like there's somebody you want to work with so I'm sure that that applies from most of the coaches who get approached because Leo McDonald was one of the ones that was on the shortlist for the big gig yeah but I think when you get, Scotland wanted him as uh, well when you get approached you're like yeah, yeah I want to work under that guy and the same probably applies to the players it will be interesting to see yeah, I think they, they, the current group just have to put all that to one side don't they like it's yeah. treated as noise and this is just the All Blacks being organised. Let yeah. them let them be organised and, and forget about it until after the World Cup now. Uh, any other bits happening this morning? Cahill? Not Cahill? Yeah, uh, plenty going on. The big game tonight, obviously, live here on uh, News Talk as well. Manchester City against Arsenal in the Premier League. Brighton, Nottingham Forest, West Ham, Liverpool and Chelsea. Brentford also on tonight. The quarterfinals in the World Snooker Championship finally poised ahead of the resumption of play later on today. Mark Allen level at eight frames apiece with Jack Jones, uh, the first of 13 in that match set to progress to the last four. Also level between Anthony McGill and C. Xiaoui on four frames each and John Higgins, Mark Selby also level at four frames apiece. Ronnie O'Sullivan is 10-6 ahead of Luca Brussel. Kildare are the Leinster under-20 football champions again. They beat Dublin by 16 points to 13 last night in the final in Carlo after extra time and they're set to play Derry or Down who play in the Ulster decider tonight from half seven in Armagh. The Munster senior football final will take place in Limerick at the Gaelic grounds. That's been confirmed Firm Kerry against Clare in the decider on Sunday week throw-in schedule for four o'clock. And the racing continues at Punchestown today. The uh, festival continuing on day two. Gallop and Day Shom in action in the Punchestown Gold Cup. And that goes to post at five to six. The first of eight races off at 20 to four. And just to finish uh, with an update from the cricket, Sri Lanka against Ireland in their second test uh, this morning. Sri Lanka 260 for one. That's off 55 overs in their first innings after Ireland uh, reached 492 yesterday. So Sri Lanka trailing by 232 runs Carl great stuff as always thank you lots for popping in uh, that is a great achievement by the way for Kildare's under 20s last night which we, we didn't really have time to touch on yet this morning yeah. but as Carl says 16 points to 13 win over the dubs um, Dublin looking for revenge from last year and a point up three minutes into injury time and then Kildare managed to back to back get the job done so yeah back to back and, and an incredible achievement for Kildare football so uh, yeah bright shoots and positive signs for uh, the future of Kildare in the next number of years do you imagine when they're getting results like that we're sticking with Gaelic Games at 8.56am this morning the Mayo icon Lee Keegan is speaking today at the launch of the Borgosh Energy GA Legends Tours of Croke Park at each tour fans get the opportunity to meet some of the greatest GA players of all time and hear them reminisce about their career highlights. This year's tours start on the 10th of May and feature other legend, legends such as Paddy Marr, Paddy Andrews, Rena Buckley, John Troy, Cora Staunton, Paul Murphy and Dennis Ogie Moran. For more details, see croakpark.ie forward slash legends and the man himself, Lee Keegan. Did I just say, joins us on the show this morning now. Lee, good morning. How are things? I think either you're on mute or we have you on mute here. Either one. Go again, Lee. Can you hear me, guys? Ah, we got you. Oh. We got you. We're flying. Sorry. I, I was saying, Shane, fair play to you. You rhymed off some pretty good legends there. So I was impressed myself when I heard them. It's not a bad list to be included in, Lee, is it? Oh, well, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm down the pecking order. <laughs> You're there somewhere. How are you finding yeah. the How are you, how are you finding the um, the punditry now being aside from the uh, away from the, the playing action? Is it relief? Is it a little bit of um, looking at Mayo and thinking, geez, I'd love to still be there? Or how do you feel about the whole thing now? Um, it's different, definitely. I like. I really enjoy it from the point of view of analysing games, looking at different styles, how teams set up. Um, I suppose when you're playing, you're very much focused on what your tasks are and what's involved for the squad and yourself individually. So it's a different aspect in terms of what you're looking at and trying to detail. So, and of course, you're always given a bit more opinion, so you're probably going to get it back a bit more, which is a bit of crack as well sometimes. So, uh, of course, you'd love to be playing... Um, 
And I, I suppose it's very hard, you know, when you're doing a Mayo game not to be by you sometimes because, again, they're the guys you, you group with for 10, 11, 12 years. So, but uh, you put that to one side and you just get on with it. And, um, yeah, listen, I, I really enjoyed watching, even watching the Mayo games, not doing punditry. It was great to see the guys do uh, have a good league campaign. Obviously, not so much uh, so far in championship, but I expect them to have a good turnaround in the next few weeks. Had you, uh, when you say it's a, giving your opinion and getting a bit of feedback, a lot of Galway people sliding into your DMs at the weekend? Yeah, yeah. I, I have a knack of upsetting West people. <laughs> West or Connacht people in general, maybe. I don't know what it is. It was a bit of crack. You listen, and that's the dynamic of it. And uh, we shot each other under the bus at the weekend, so we'll say no more about that. <laughs> is it? Uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, he, the, was, he was like seniority is kicking in here so he kind of nudged me and goes yeah yeah you're on your own this boy and that, that was into that one is it um, like because it, it's often it's it's hard like the debates between these things like there can be now not always on the losing team side but I mean there can be two three four names like is there a bit of pressure on when that debate sort of kicks off in the second half yeah there is I suppose and then you probably don't familiarize yourself as much then when you, you realise what it does mean to certain I suppose supporters, I know from a player perspective, they don't care. And I can say really? that because I was involved enough times as well. Players, they, they just worry about their, their team performance. And in the case for Gaulet, they're moving on to the kind of final. And listen, Comer had an absolute magnificent game and I held my hands up. We, we probably picked it a tad early and that's that's the way it goes. Uh, I, I we, myself and Sean looked at Kieran Murtha. Um, but of course, sometimes like it's very easy to look at, you know, from the point of view of that, you know, you're always trying to look at the winning team, fair enough, but sometimes you have to look at the, the other side and only for Kier Murtha we're looking at the weekend, he kicked one six and he, he literally dragged Russ Gammon through um the game himself. So yeah, it can be tricky enough. Um good learning. Um but that's the that's the side of things that you have to pick up pretty quickly. And uh, I suppose when you see certain supporters been upset about it, then you have to realise, yeah, okay, we need to knuckle down and get that right for the next time. Comer's performance was particularly unbelievable. I, I, I know you said we made a decision second half. Sounds like it, w- it was a it was a one way decision for sure. But uh, team Com- decision, Jane, yeah, team decision, of course. If, you, if, if, you, if you'd had your way, Lee, I mean, Comer's performance, generally speaking, um, in such a big game, and it was really, really impressive to see. And he seems to have come on leaps and bounds. Yeah, definitely. And the thing for Comer as well is it's his first full game in, in, in quite a while. So, and we were, we were kind of looking at him in, in about the 70th minute and he was kind of, I was saying in the studio, he looks, he looks a tired man trying to get back in the fence and all of a sudden he comes up with a big block. Mm. And then about 90 seconds later, he's up hand past the ball over the bar. So I, from that point of view, it was a massive performance, absolutely. And do you know what? Enough can't be said for the old-fashioned uh, big full forward sometimes. Uh, you know, when the ball comes off the post, nine times out of ten, that's flicked away from the defender. Maybe it'll go over the bar. But, but the fact you have someone like Comer and his presence there that can take a ball like that and just bury it in the back of net, that, that's worth its goal sometimes. And the fact that he was playing so well and Shane Welsh probably was a bit off the weekend, a bit quieter than usual. I thought Brian Stack did a great job on him. Um, Conroy was quite quiet. Um so then you have a guy like Homer and even John Mara. I thought John Mara had a brilliant game. Guys like that stepping up. So that shows Galway's strength and depth and guys that are playing the system and playing for the team. So having a guy like Homer, and I know from first-hand experience, it's not an easy task. Uh, and when he hits form early, and he can, I can look at, I suppose, the Derry game last year, for instance, in the semi-final, he's a very hard man to stop. Uh, very direct. And the thing with Comer as well, you nearly sometimes... We, you know, you probably don't think he's going to be as accurate as he is. He's very accurate when he gets uh, two or three yards and he has a defender and he just can't stop that. And when I remember marking him in the goal game last year, they were going long with kickouts to him. He was fetching ball, then looking for him in a one-on-one situation. So 
when he gets on top of you, it's it's a scary place to be in, to be honest. Uh, so we listen, it's uh, it's not good for defenders looking at that performance the last day because it was it was simply outstanding. At their peak, who's harder to handle, him or Shane Walsh? Um, two, to be honest, two different players. Um, you have one guy that's you can do the absolutely outrageous. I mean, Shane Welsh can do some of the most ridiculous stuff on a Gaelic pitch, along with pace. I mean, myself and Chris Barrett used to laugh. He was a fast guy, marked and, and Chris, he goes, "What I'd even think," and he goes, "I've never seen a guy run faster over ten yards." Um, so and Chris, he was a pretty pretty good um, defender at one on one. So, um, Comer just a bit more direct in terms of that physique and. Again, sometimes that raw power, you can't underestimate how important that is in a one-on-one situation. I, and I referenced that goal again at the weekend. If Shane Welch is that position or Comer, who you backing? I'm going to back Comer all day. So you kind of have the, the power versus the kind of finesse. But that's the beauty of what goal at the moment. And that's the kind of array of talent they have. And then you throw Ian Burke in the middle of that, who seems to just want to assist these guys constantly. So you have a pretty damn uh, inside forward line. Uh, one of the best probably in the country at the moment. If you look at them on form uh, and if the two of those guys hit peak power, a lot of teams are going to struggle to handle them. So, two different players. Uh, you know, you take Shane Welch's performance and, and, and everyone's reference at uh, last year's All-Ireland. I mean, that's the ridiculous. And then you had probably, for me, one of the best defenders marking him in the game at the moment, Tom O'Sullivan and what he did to him. And, and Tom doesn't get, get done that easy. So, that just shows how good Shane Welsh can be on his day. You know, I, I heard the guys in the football pod say last night he can be infuriating at times, but you take that as well because when he mixes it up and, and he can do the stuff he can do, I think you just bite your tongue a little bit and let him do it. A lot of talk, Lee, and I was curious to ask you as well about the the uh, provincial championships and, and the, the meaning they still hold for, for players. And maybe look, you look at Connacht and Ulster as the two uh, bright sparks and, and the two provincials that, that certainly counties and players still want to win. Port Joyce making the point that they, Galway very much put a focus on the Connacht championship year after year. I think this is an, an eighth Connacht final in a row for, for Galway, in fact, so clearly they put an emphasis on it. Is it the same in Mayo? Is it the same in Common? Like, is there a focus every year put on lifting the JJ Nestor Cup, or is it just look? If we lose to Common in the opening day in Castlebar, we can focus and and, and regroup. Um, honestly, <clears throat> because we have three teams now that, and, and, and sorry, I don't want to say that with disrespect to the teams. I, I'm just solely thinking mm. from a Division One aspect. Um, is that when you have three Division One teams and teams like that, you want to win the Nestor Cup. You don't want to give your rivals or your, you know your neighbours any edge at all. So. When I was there, now listen, we won five in a row and then, you know, we didn't win as many then. We won two in probably the next six years. So we won on a bit of a dry patch. But when we won them, we enjoyed them and we did want to win them because, again, you're trying to get one up in your neighbours, you're trying to put a stance. And it's probably the old, you know, famous macho thing. I, we want to lead in America for the year ahead. So, and Roscommon as well. Roscommon never seemed to fear at Golomeo in provincial but they've never materialised then on the national stage. So that'll be interesting to see how Davy Burke rounds his troops up for the group stage now in three, four weeks' time. So, yeah, we, we, we definitely, and again, see by goal. And you know what, it was interesting to see Davy Burke's reaction after the game of the weekend, how actually disappointed he was, to be honest. He really wanted to win the, the provincial title. I could see by his demeanour after he was really gutted. And then you look at Pork Joyce as well. You know, He was extremely animated to get the result. So there's something there. Uh, from a provincial aspect definitely uh, and it just kind of summed up where those guys are at So, and the same in Ulster I know we, we always tout Ulster as the standard bearers and it is because those guys you know it, it shows how important it is at provincial level that they want to get that medal like to win silver is very hard guys in any aspect so 
if you can get a trophy along the way, like I, I think Armagh, I, I always look at Armagh, they've won nothing in a long time. So I think they should be going really hard for Ulster this year and try and get a medal in their back pocket because it's a medal. Uh, they're not easy one, as I said. So teams like that, uh, I do think take prevention really seriously. And then you have the unfortunate aspect of Leinster Munster. What do you do with those? Uh, it's 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 kind of you bear the brunt of it and you, you get on with these results and then you're into the into the group stage. So there's no one one fix one fix all plan. It's it's unfortunate the way we are, but it's great that we have provinces that do want to or teams that want to win their province. Now again, and that's not to say you know you look at the Lau game Westmead last year, it was an absolute cracking game, you know. But the problem for Leinster is it's it's Dublin, <laughs> and they're not. And, and I say that is. No, who's going to beat Dublin in Leinster? I mean, there's no evidence that they're going to be beaten again this year or anytime soon. So I'm not sure what the the the, the long-term goal of that is. And the same in Munster. I mean, unless Cork uh, or Clare or some of these teams there up and Dante from, from underage up, and it's not easy done. I know that. I, I fully fully respect that. But we'll, we'll still be talking about Kerry winning the next 10 or Dublin winning the next 10. So where I feel in Connacht and Ulster, you can only tip three to five teams at each province that they're going to that have a chance of winning the provincial medal. So that, yeah, there is there is some there is some glory in that uh, and some respect. And, and it was really, I think, what I took from the from the game at the weekend, it was really fascinating to see the guys' reaction post game. Uh, I suppose the disappointment versus the animation from Porek. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent agreed. Noticed that on the TV. Mm-hmm. In fact, felt that sort of the celebration was probably more animated than it would be if they end up winning the kind of final next weekend. That there was almost a recognition. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think, and, and this is, I'm not, no, again, no disrespect to Sligo uh, and Tony McAtee and the, and the structure and the work that's going in there is is huge. But there wasn't a huge opportunity for both those teams than it was ahead of them uh, because again, you're looking at the golfing class. And, you know, I looked at the Dublin Leash game the last day and. You know, Leash are on a bit of a, a resurgence, but they're a division forward and well. You take Dublin, who can just go through the gears. And I, I don't think I've ever seen a score of 4.30 put up in a senior game before. So that's the that's the issues we have. So there, there was a bigger picture for the likes of, of, of Roscom and Gala, what was ahead of them. And again, not to respect Sligo, I, I fully expect them to throw the kitchen sink at the guys, but it's just the golf in Division 3-4 in some aspects versus Division 1-2. And that's just... The bigger teams get stronger as the year goes on, and and, and then the shows then the the lack of probably resources and talent that some other teams have when they're, they're coming up against these teams. Can I just ask you one more on Mayo Lee, just in relation because so yeah. the point gets made and debated about whether it was more useful to them. And I know you've obviously rightly pointed out there's a group they want to go ahead and win the Nestor Cup, and that's obviously not on the table. But whether it might be more useful to have had the time away, and you mentioned about some of the years that you would have had that. I don't know that it would have been maybe to the same extent that they've had it now have been knocked out so early. But you know you have obviously players. Some players have gone on holiday. Some are coming uh, a bit of rehabbing back from injury. Some of them are playing club and I think they're back training again this week but you've basically a block of about four weeks now before they get back into at least four weeks before they get back into a competitive game from a group point of view when you were in the middle of that is that feel like jeez we're heading back into a long slog here now again or is there is it do you feel refreshed by it or yeah what's the the feeling within the group when that happens I feel great. Like I feel like I go train tomorrow. <laughs> um, no, do you know what? I, like when I I looked at the when we were watching the Mayo Roscommon game, like it was there was two aspects of that. Like Roscommon, they brought just an absolute mad intensity and, and a work ethic, and Mayo just looked flat. Uh, and the thing for Mayo was, and Kevin had made no secret about it, that they put a huge body work in preseason. So you know, you had FPD, the one FPD. 
and even throughout the league I know the guys put in a huge shift in terms of, of training loads and trying to peak then obviously league final and I don't think it was going to be sustainable to, to hold that for the year so in some respect uh, I think it was a good thing for the group because listen they were disappointed I'm not, I'm not saying they weren't but the, the biggest picture is, is the national scene and, and the group stage so once that game was over uh, and I think what they did was really good they just let the players I suppose go on their holiday do their own thing for 10 to 12 days whatever it was declutter and just take the take to the feet in the chin review it absolutely where we didn't go well what we didn't do well what we need to work on etc all that good stuff so I think the good thing is if the guys weren't given any kind of break like that then it becomes a slog and I know from experiences you keep training and training and training and you just your your head just explodes with the amount of, of, of things going through it so I think the break for, for that group in particular do the no harm uh, even the older guys are, are well seasoned like Aiden, Killian, Kevin McLaughlin, Jason Ari, those kind of guys know exactly that routine so even meeting one of my club mates in the gym there last week Oh McLaughlin he had a good blowout good week away just chilling out with his friends or partner whatever it was and you could see he felt a little bit energised already looking forward to training because by getting that break you're not in the mix of, of talking football uh, structures defeats teams all that kind of stuff and, and it does it consumes you sometimes so to get away and do your own thing and spend with family friends whatever it is I mean it's a good thing uh, so I can imagine that group is really hungry to go now from this week onwards and get back to work and as you mentioned, they're four weeks now to get stuff right. And I, I don't think it's they have a million things to get right. Listen, people are, can be very short-sighted that, yes, Mayo lost to Roscommon and deservedly so, played really poorly. But where's the positives? They won a league medal. They won an FED medal. FED is FED, don't get me wrong, it, mm. but it's still winning. So it's not like because they've had one bad game, it makes them a bad team overnight. They have so much going well for them at the moment. So it's just about happening to those things that they did well what they didn't do so well against the Sermon and just getting that balance again and I expect them to come out really hyped up in the group stages regardless of who they get uh, it looks like C3 seems to be the funniest of all you've got some of the best teams there you've got Scalman Tyrone Mayo and A and other so you've all division one teams in C3 so straight away you're looking at that and you're thinking okay Mayo don't, can't get Tyrone <clears throat> we know they can't get Roscommon and, and potentially Armagh or, or another team so it's going to be interesting to make group, but I expect that group to, to really put in a good bulk of work now for the next three, four weeks and be ready for the group stage. Uh, finally, Lee, it's, it's <clears throat> quite insane that um, a county of the pedigree and history of Meath won't compete for Sam Maguire this year. I know Colm O'Rourke got a, a gentle ribbon from, from yourself and Sean Cavan on the, on the telly at the weekend. Um, like, If you're a Meath footballer at, at, at this juncture, like, are you getting yourself psyched up for a Talton Cup? Or are you thinking about maybe the the championship in Boston in June and July? Like what? What? Where's your thinking? Like <laughs> you, you wouldn't blame them for wanting to head off. Uh, no, then. no, 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 no. I know. I, listen, the jive column, column give us stuff jives back in the day. So I mean, it's okay to give one back. You know, it's, it's, it was only a jab, not a full uh, haymaker. Um, it's disappointing. I, I think. The, I suppose the way I look to me is like I suppose, you know, you take this year alone, right? They had a highly touted under twenty team that was was tipped too well. Unfortunately, Dublin beat them, and Dublin were beaten that night. You know, so a minor they got beaten, and then the senior. So it's not looking pretty at the moment. I, I don't think when people realise Colin going like okay to get a new manager, and sometimes you, you get a good kickback or, or bounce of players, and that you, you've probably seen that probably from the first two games. But when I looked at those first two games, I felt that it nearly was kind of dressing over the lot of the issues that Mead had defensively and how they were playing. Great got goals and it was you were all talking about this. Yeah, Cullum hasn't solved. Once teams figure them out, they, they've barely scored a goal since. So they have a lot of work to do. Uh, and as you said, Shane, yeah, have they checked out? Like, I wouldn't even be that confident to win Talchuk Cup, to be honest. 
base and, and their morale in that group at the moment. They just... And, and like, I feel in a way that we're probably disrespecting off a little bit because they put in a great performance and, you know, fair play to them in, in the situation they were in with Liam Kearns and, and to come back like that and put a performance like that, like, that group is buzzing, I'm sure. But for me, the tradition they have, the powerhouse that they have been, it's it's really disappointing. And I, I to be honest, and without saying really negative, I, I wouldn't give them what's open talent cup, to be honest. Right. I, like, similar to Donegal, have they checked out, just get the year done. Like, the core issue for me is, is that they have so much work to do. And like I compare them, I'm trying to compare them to Dan, or not compare them, but like you know, I'm trying to say what similarities they are. Connor Lavery has his house in order. Dan are playing for Lavery, not that they're playing for Cullen, but like they have their structure in place. They're doing well under twenty. They're doing well as senior. He's got a good collective group that now trust the management team. Mm. All that mess is cleared up. I feel like Cullen needs to go back to the root of the problems and and declutter whatever is going on in there because it just looks like they have no system, no structure, no confidence, no morale. And I feel really sorry for like players like Donald Yogan, who I played against on numerous occasions, and I tip him as one of the best players I come across because just a fantastic servant. Killian Sullivan, another brilliant player, Brian Menton. Like they're brilliant players, and they've trooped through 10, 11, 12 years of hard slog to come into a situation like this now where they're gone backwards again. And how long is going to be? I don't know. Cullum has a lot, a lot of work to do there to get that team back to where, where they were, once were. Uh, it could be a long time, could be a four or five year project. It's not going to be overnight. But yeah, it, it was disappointing to see because again, when you always you associate GA and, and big teams, meet are one of those teams you love watching, really competitive. And unfortunately, we've Mayo had the pleasure of getting uh, a few hole openers from them back in the day. I, in terms of fisticuffs, not, I wouldn't even say results, but <laughs> they were the games we loved. They loved because that was the meet we loved and, and grew up seeing. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of work. It's disappointing to see. And again, I don't want to keep reference. I, I was even listening to Tommy Rooney on the pod. Like, and he, he doesn't give them much chance either, even just reviewing the game at the weekend and where they were in the league. So just disappointing for them and uh, for those guys. So um, yeah, maybe it's, it, it, sometimes it's easier to check out. I don't know. But mm. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't hold much breath for the Talch Cup either because there's some really good teams that in that competition. So they look at me and they wouldn't be too feared either. Yeah, Talton Cup battle is really actually heating up as well because you look at some of the teams yeah. that are going to be involved. It's going to be it's going to be quite incredible. Um, yeah, worrying times for for me. Uh, Lee, great stuff as always. Thanks for hopping on this morning. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Brilliant stuff. Female legend Lee Keegan there joining us on this Wednesday morning's OTBM at nine sixteen a.m. on this Wednesday uh, with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Here are some of the highlights coming up in the OTB Podcast Network today. We've got Brian O'Driscoll. We've got myself at the Crucible Theatre. We've got Jan Berhas. All the greats. All the greats. Yeah, all the greats. Jan Berhas, that is not myself. Uh, Rob Walker, the uh, the MC Extraordinary, and Ken Doherty as well. You'll find all those in the podcast uh, stream and the football show from last night as well. You can follow OTB across social and subscribe to the OTB podcast network during the break you will hear a clip from the latest episode of the football pod which Lee mentioned there where Paddy, James and Tommy talked about Galway's Ian Burke and his brilliance against Ross Common the football pod is in partnership with AIB proud sponsors of the football hurling and camogie All-Ireland Club Championships check out the hashtag the toughest for more and remember the football show is live in Killarney next Thursday the 4th of May at the Great Southern Hotel with very special guest Mark O'Shea we'll be back after these with Wrexham's Irish midfielder Anthony Ford 20 past 9 on Wednesday morning's OTBM. Delighted to welcome to the show this morning the Wrexham, uh, Wrexham Irish midfielder, Anthony Ford. Anthony, how are things? Good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Bit of a bit of a mad fairy tale going on over in Wrexham at the moment. It's um, It must be a lot dealing with all this publicity and, and uh, the cameras and the action in the full stadiums. It's um, it's quite a quite a moment, quite a thing that's happening over there. Yeah, it's been crazy. Um, I didn't expect it 
to be this crazy when I when I first signed. But yeah, it's been a bit of a show all season. I think the last few weeks now have really kind of upped it, and the cameras and all have been around the training ground most days and stuff. Um, but it's been very exciting, um, and obviously getting the the reward the other night was amazing. So there was a lot of pressure building, but it was all worth it in the end. We'll get to that the whole Wrexham season and, and uh, the madness of it all in just a second. Your own background, um, Anthony. So you're a Limerick, you're a Limerick boy, and you started off. Was it Mick McCarthy handed you your your, your Premier League debut? You were only a kid, essentially heading over to England at first. So must have been all a bit mad. Give us a, a sense of your background. Yeah, so I grew up in Ballingarry in Limerick and played all through the underage there. Um, got trials from probably 12 years old onwards and uh, ended up signing for Wolves at 15. Um, so I moved away when I was 15 and Mick McCarthy gave me my debut at 17 at Wolves and um, yeah, it's been from there really. Um, it's been a, a great journey so far. It's, a it's it, like it, th- those moments when you think back to Mick McCarthy, are you, are you thankful for someone like that? Do you still keep in touch with him as someone who, who kind of gave you a chance starting off? Oh yeah, like I wouldn't probably wouldn't speak to him a lot, but if I if I see him and stuff, we'd have obviously great respect for each other. And um, you know, when I came through at the time, it was it was amazing. He was he was unbelievable with me. Um, so I'll always be grateful for him giving me my chance. The Premier League debut against Chelsea. I mean, that must have been quite an experience as as a, as a young lad to be standing in a Premier League pitch against the opposition of that ilk. It's 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 quite a moment for you, I'm sure. Yeah, it was. I think um, <clears throat> that was the moment. I think when I when I got on the pitch and I thought, Jesus, I'm actually here. Like, <laughs> but actually caught in front of me and stuff, and it was just it was madness. Um, I always remember just looking up at the stand after after and on the pitch, and I was just I was in shock, really, to be honest. Um, but it was an amazing experience, um, and I suppose moving home from moving home from Ireland at 15 and putting in the hard work it all it all paid off when, when I ran on that pitch that day yeah, you've had a number of different clubs thereafter then you had Walsall and Rotherham United amongst them but how did the, how did, how did the move to, to Wrexham come about then how were you approached so I was in pre-season um, I was still at Oxford and I had another year left but uh, the, my agent rang me and said the manager wanted to speak to me here Phil Parkinson and I was like, I'll have a chat with him anyway and see see what the story is because I didn't obviously know loads about the club and stuff. And um, after I had the phone call with him, he, I, he's he's a great person and he kind of um, stuck to me in more than I thought, to be honest. And uh, he told me about the whole setup and how the owners back you and they're they're not just these famous people that don't care. They're really into the club and a proper effort in and uh, yeah about a week later I I made the decision to go and I was just like it's the it's the best decision I've I've made to be honest um, it was just all you know too exciting it was something different and obviously now we've got promoted it's it's paid off you're not alone in some of those um, players and even you mentioned the manager probably has dropped down a couple of divisions as well there are like a lot of players who seem to be like it's an unusual move, and it seems to be like there's a lot of players who um, have bought in 
uh, to the story or the ambition um, that are at Wrexham. How hard a decision uh, when you were weighing it up, Anthony, was that? Um, I think, obviously, I think he explained that the players that have, have come and stuff, and I knew that we'd have a, a strong team to get out of the league. Um, and it was just something exciting for me. The club's massive, and I'd, I knew you'd be playing in front of 10,000 every, every home game. And, you know, they haven't been out in this league in 15 years, and I really wanted to go and be a part of it. Um and it just excited me, to be honest, with everything um, that was going on there. And uh, the after, I'd say, the first two or three home games, I was like, you wouldn't even think you're playing in a lower league. It was the atmosphere at the home games is just incredible. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, as like I said, it was the it was the best decision I made. Um, obviously, you're taking the. When I look back at it, I was thinking like what are the pros and cons but really like there was apart from probably dropping but I was 29 years old and I just thought like why not try something a bit different and be aiming to win the league somewhere mm. um, and it's been it's been great relief now since we did do that the other day and you say like obviously even in terms of the the fans and the stadium the whole experience doesn't feel it feels like divisions above and I'm, is it is it sort of the same in terms of the playing staff I know obviously Ben Foster's one uh, standout example of somebody who's had a career at the very top level but also um, as somebody who's been following the documentary uh, religiously over the last couple of months I'm uh, somewhat familiar with the uh, playing staff at Wrexham now but like very obviously you look at the stats and the playing styles of the likes of Ali Palmer and Paul Mullen does it feel like a team that are also like ready in terms of the players that are there at the minute to make that step up? Oh yeah, for sure. I think we've we've got a a really strong squad even to be, you know, competing with hopefully getting promotion again next year. Uh, I think, you know, this this season we've added a few more players as well and um even Ben Foster said that he couldn't you know, get over the standard when he first came in. Um, and I was a bit like that as well, but the team's just grew stronger since. And we, we, I think we'll, we'll push on again. And it's just about the, having the, this depth in the squad. And we've definitely got that. You're, you, you had a bit of time away from the, the pitch as well for personal reasons recently, Anthony. And I know, uh, your manager, you mentioned Phil Parkinson was, was quite keen when you, when you came back in your, your first start and, and goal as well, I think against Yeovil Town recently, was quite keen to mention you by name in, in his post-match interviews. Um, and, and even just your attitude and how good it's been. I mean, there was even a round of applause, I think, for yourself in the dressing room. It must be so nice to have that environment somewhere where you can thrive and, and take that time away, but also come back and, and have that positive, positive atmosphere. Yeah, it has it's been it's been a difficult time off off the pitch um for us here. So we've we've had a bit of bad news, you know, on the family and stuff, so I needed time off the pitch and um the support, like I said, from the club was amazing from the owners, from the, the gaffer, from all the lads and you know, he never they never rushed me back, said said uh take as long as I want, even if I don't come back this season or whatever and a few weeks went by and you know things we got a bit better news and stuff like that and um, I, I wanted to get back into routine and Laura my my uh, girlfriend said that you know she wanted to get back to a bit of normality as well and got back training and, and you know I was just waiting for my chance and I did everything I could 
um, in training and extra bits whenever I had the chance to, you know, you lose your fitness fairly quick, especially when you're playing at a high level um, on the weekends and uh, we had uh, one or two injuries and I came on or started against Jovel and, you know, got the first goal, which seems to be an, an important goal now and the gaffer just uh, did some really nice stuff after the game and, um, you know, it was really nice to hear that, but it was also great to get back in the team and, and make a difference too when it, I'd been out for a while. Um, but yeah, like I said, the, again, with the club, the support, I don't know if I'd, if I'd have had as much support from, from other people elsewhere. There's been some great clubs and stuff, but, um, you know, they've really, really made a huge effort with, with me and my family. So, um, it was great to come back and get the goal and, you know, show them that appreciation too. That's great to hear that there's a proper family atmosphere in the club as well, regardless of how big things have become. I'm even looking at the list of the, the, the squad here and there's definitely an Irish influence in this in this team as well. Anthony, I mean, you look at Liam McAlinden, Thomas O'Connor, um, Owen O'Connor, I think Owen's actually a cousin of Paul O'Connell as well. So there's a, there's a definite sprinkle of Irishness uh, within that camp, which I'm sure helps. Oh, yeah, it does. Um that's what we were saying. We're we're starting to take over now. But uh we've um we've got a good group of lads there and Kev the physio is Irish now as well and mm. uh, Yeah, do you know it's it's great to have a few Irish lads with you, do you know, for the for the crack and stuff and um they've all been great since since they've signed as well and uh you know it was nice to get the picture with the flag on the pitch after as well the other day. Um so they're they're good friends of mine now as well and um Owen always says it, he goes, Every time my name is mentioned it's Paul O'Connell gets a mention. <laughs> <laughs> the famous uh, cousin, that's what happens. Yeah, that's what happens. But uh no, they're they're good lads and you know, they've they've been great recently as well. That that definitely helps and and, and like they're, they're quality players as well but it's also increasing the interest probably you've noticed maybe in Ireland like as Adrian mentioned the documentary is one thing um, and obviously the Hollywood Stardust is another as well but because they're Irish players I think a lot of people over here now and because a lot of the games are televised in some sense people probably want to follow it over here more Yeah it's, that's what I mean it's gone it's gone a bit mad like you know I think even all my friends now and um, stuff they're all Mad Rexham fans and they love watching it and I think the documentary has been huge a huge part of it and you know, they're filming for season two now which would have been recently as well which uh, lifting the trophy so that should be that should be out in August I think um, so yeah it's exciting it's um, it's strange having the cameras around when you're not used to it most days but you get used to it after a few weeks um, but it's exciting and it's great for people at home but it just shows how big Wrexham is is getting like all over the world really you've busloads coming from America and everything to games it's just bizarre like it, it's crazy even to see the likes of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney and what it means to them in the stands naturally enough I guess the cameras are panning to them at uh, quite a few moments during, during matches uh, but it's also the fact that they're, they're going to women's games as well and the women's team are doing brilliant stuff they're clearly owners who are fully fully invested in what's happening at Wrexham oh yeah like fully they're it's they're absolutely crazy about the club and <laughs> it's not just that it's just even like I said before they they make an effort to it it's not just certain players it's everyone's players everyone's family 
after the game the other night, you know, they invited us all over to their their box in the back in, in the stadium and all the family and friends got to meet them and you know, they're just great people. Um normal people even though they're that big, but they're just genuine good people. Um and they've they've made a huge effort with us. Um you know, even texting you and you get the odd FaceTime and stuff like that and it's just it's mad really when you think about it like we we were sitting on the sofa a few weeks ago and we got a FaceTime from Ryan like and me and Laura and my little boy Paddy were just on the sofa and it was we just got off the phone thinking this is mad (laughs) mad." (laughs) would you would you have been a Deadpool or always Sunny fan even before this or has that come as a result to be honest no I wasn't I wasn't and uh I've watched a bit of them now since since obviously I saw stuff like that and uh, Rob did a bit uh, a few shows in Ireland last week and he said mm-hmm. he, he his life and he sent us a message from the from the stage and stuff and all the all the crowd were shouting in the background and stuff and just little things like that that they do is just you never ever think things like that were going to happen um, when I signed but it's just. It's really nice, you know. They they go into an effort to to make other people happy all the time. Like it, it's it's unbelievable to watch. Finally, Anthony, I mean that the now that the promotion from the national league has happened, you're into League Two for for next season. What's the what's the ceiling for this Wrexham team? Do you think you, you talk about another promotion, two promotions in a row? It would be incredible for for Wrexham to get straight back up into into League One as well. But do you think this this team has a ceiling, or how far can this whole project go? Yeah, I think. You know this the squad we have, like I said, can definitely push on again. But you don't you don't want to look too far ahead. It's like this year, you take you take it game by game. Um, you, you know when you look too far ahead, it just you you lose concentration and things. And we we've done really well at keeping it game by game this year because we knew Nats County were weren't leaving us breed. So I think next year, like I said, I think we've got the squad to to go again. But it's about you know focusing on each game and think if, if if we do that there's definitely a chance we'll we'll go back up the leagues with, with the squad and uh, the staff that we have at the moment as well that you know the gaffer has, has also just signed he's always does his work on good people as well which makes a big difference to the dressing room um, and that's that's been important this season definitely as well well, listen, Anthony, it's been brilliant to watch. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Keep flying the Irish flag over there as well. No doubt the interest is only going to going to increase as well. So it's been uh, it's been fascinating to watch the whole thing play out. Um, but uh, thanks, William, for hopping on this morning with us. No problem. Thanks, lads. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.